Welcome back to the Horror You Know podcast. I'm Darren. I'm Ian. I'm Ian. And I'm Trent. And it's been one week since you looked at me. <laughs> Damn bare naked ladies. <laughs> so you can't force it. Yeah, you, just... natural... you were over here worried. <laughs> I was a little <laughs> worried. A <laughs> I was a little worried. Thank you for that. Thank I wish I had that. something to cheers with you. I didn't even get it one <laughs> week out. They just started going. Yeah. Everybody felt it. That's that chemistry. I need my guitar. Trent, Trent was talking about getting a new, uh, get a new amp, didn't you? Yeah, I, we could have used it for that. I could have played a little. I don't know the song. I have to learn it. But. <laughs> oh, do you do you slap some bass? I slap. I slap with some bass. Uh, big fact. You know, what I'm saying you can tune a guitar, but you can't tune a fish unless it's a bass. Well, I don't know what what was that. <laughs> Fun fact: This guy actually is. The Did you just give me a golf clap? I didn't know if he was trying to clap or. I was going to, and then I didn't think it. Was I actually play drums, but I did buy a bass, so I'm going to try that. With Let me you. guess: You played drums, switch a guitar, did a little bit of vocals. No, I can't sing with a shit. Uh huh. Can't play guitar. You were on stage one day, fell off the stage, broke your leg. Mm. We know who you are, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You guys have anything else you, you want to bring up? How was your week? He there. has another confession to make. I'm sorry. He's a pretender, man. He's the pretender. Damn it. All right, sorry. <laughs> now we got that out of the way. What was your question? What was that? You guys have went through the, their entire catalog at least twice on this show. I always call him the pretender. We always will. So man, let's have, we look at you every week. You let's have like a vote. Man. Okay. Let's have a vote online. A little Steven Seagalish again tonight. Little, little, <laughs> little vote. Who do I look like? Everybody's going to say probably that because you guys have put it in their head. But he just mentioned Steven Seagal. I got that. Steven Seagal, yeah. Natalia and Chuck Norris. <laughs> couple, couple of those. <laughs> Which is Steven Seagal, right? Hey, I'm going to take this, uh, take this foot and put it on that side of your face. There's not a damn thing you could do about it. Oh, oh, oh! <laughs> I don't, I don't get, I don't get the Steven Seagal thing. You don't, you don't see it? Mm-mm. Ponytail, slick back. That's about it. Well, that well, that's Steven Seagal. You actually yeah. look like Dave, though, like all over. Everybody says it. Because we're about ready to I take our so. ceremonial shots before we kick off. You know, that's right. Banana you pudding. over here taking shots, and I've got a whole fucking mason yeah. jar full of it over here. He brought his entire still- distillery. There's two of each if you want a strawberry. There's another strawberry. I like banana pudding as a dessert. We'll see yeah, if I like it in shot form. Banana pudding, cream, Whatever your flavor, neighbor, it's all good. You ready, cars? Shake it up. Oh, uh, yeah, baby. All right, guys, now let's shake our drinks up. <laughs> <laughs> Splooge. To the window. Wise man once said, to the I window. Still say we to need to the make walls. those uh, strawberry hot chocolate shots. That I read about. I saved that little thing that has the recipe. I'm not sure I know what you're talking about, but I'm down for it because it sounds good. Yeah, we'll try that one these times. I really like the uh, 
What was that shot you had that one night? Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Yeah, that was, was really good. good. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that. I'm going to have to make those again for you guys. I didn't know you liked them that much. Yeah. Those that, were like, pretty you... good, but you did another cereal one, too. That I... Well, I was going to ask, was it the Liquid Butterfinger? Yeah, that's the one I liked. Yeah, that was really <laughs> I like that. Did, did, did I like that, that Butterfinger. Oh, it was liquid. <laughs> My bad. Did I make that for you guys, too? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking I was I was walking my dog the other day walking down the road, the old dog. <laughs> walking the old dog, and I started thinking, is is Ian Torrance stalking my house because I found about 300 Fireball like minis or the <laughs> the pints mm-hmm. bottles along the ditch line out there. Like it, I mean, it was like two or three hundred, not even lying. Like the shooters or no, like the pint ones, but this, oh God. but that big. Dang, I don't really drink right? a lot of Fireball. I say that, but I do have a bottle of Fireball in my trunk. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> I, I knew think you, it was for the in case um, of emergencies. I knew you had Fireball. A lot. I think it was for uh, it was for the um, I think it was for those cinnamon toast, yeah. cinnamon toast crunch shots. Yeah, this has been extremely weird banter for the episode we're about we're to go into. Have we, we have to get all the fun out. Right now, it's because a this is a, this might be fun. I don't. I mean, it's not going to be fun. The story's horrible. Uh, like I say, none of our stories are fun. They're all pretty. This one's bad. Rough. Yeah. It's another true crime. Well, yeah. This is a one. true crime. Yeah. So if you guys don't know what this is, it's the uh, obviously you do because I told you to watch the documentaries and movie. This is the uh, West Memphis Three. Uh, what it originally was called the, was the Robin Hood Hills Murders, mm-hmm. all right? And I don't know about you guys, but there's a lot of stuff out there about this crime. It was a very, very famous true crime story. Many podcasts have done it. Uh, so, you know, here's our attempt, I guess. I think it's an interesting story, so I wanted to go into it and... I will have to warn the audience if you don't know anything about this story and you're very uh, kind of squeamish or offended or you just kind of get the icks from hearing true crime. Sensitive this is, about. I mean, if they're still listening to us, they can't be too easily offended. Well, this is absolutely the one you don't want to listen yeah. to. I mean, this one is rough. It's going to have a lot of uh, triggering we're topics. Not, we're not saying disgusting. leave. Yeah, this is just a warning. Yeah. Just walk away, let it play, and <laughs> yeah. we'll still get the download. And yeah, just give us the download. You don't, you don't have to listen. So, okay, so we're gonna start off. The way I'm gonna start off is like kind of a disappearance timeline for when these boys like came up missing, and then I'll talk about each boy and a little bit about their family. All right. So May fifth, nineteen ninety three, at seven forty one p.m. In West Memphis, Arkansas. So we're talking right across the way from Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, it's just west, obviously, of, of Memphis. And it's right on the border. So if you know anything about that state, it borders four different states, I think. Um, Tennessee being one. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, Anyway, so that's kind of the area we're talking about. If you know anything about Arkansas in the 90s, it was pre-early 90s. It was pre-Bill Clinton days. He was still, you know, governor at that time, I think. And uh, it was a very poor state. Would you agree? Wait, still is kind of a poor state. Was it pre-Bill Clinton? Wasn't he president in the early 90s? 
Well, I guess it was Bill Clinton. That was his first year. That would have been his first year. President in 92, right? Post Bill Clinton. Yeah. Was that when he started his first term? So that would be the first year. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're correct. That's why we have fact checkers on this show. Thanks, guys. Uh, but one of the guys that ran against just, him was from Arkansas, wasn't they? But let's just say, what? Wasn't one of the guys that ran against him from Arkansas? Oh, it's our talent out there, boys. <laughs> what the hell? I thought you were like in pain from another like pulled muscle. How do you know I'm not? <laughs> that was a oh, good. That was a great attempt. That's a secret, Trent. He's always in pain. That's a, a drum bell, Clinton Trent. I can't move in this chair without like breaking. I was wondering, I was wondering why can you, can you do a Bill Clinton? Let's hear yours. I thought like, uh, go ahead. I can't. I, I do a lot of this. Oh. People can't see. I don't know. Nice. <laughs> a lot of the thumb. I got the cigar the lip. in my mouth. Felt like Big Willie was right here lip. with us. That was pretty good. Was pretty <laughs> good. I think you guys have an equally matched Bill Clinton. I'll give the it trick to is that you got to get drunk. I'll concede. Well, let's just say okay. We got I, I got it wrong on the when he was president versus governor. Let's just say Arkansas at the time was reaping the benefits of his governorship at that time. Arkansas. Which is weird Clinton? that he was the governor there, considering how much of Poor a it southern, is. poorer. Sorry if you're from Arkansas. I'm not trying to like dog on you, but like it's a re- it's a pretty Republican part of the country. Let me tell it you, it actually is it's a, surprising. Anything worth a damn ever came out of Arkansas, no, especially to be president. I'm just saying, wow. knowing kind of the South that and trend. yeah, that's all. That's but, I mean, thing to say. Georgia's right down there, and they're pretty Democratic too. So it's not all like it, it's pockets of it. I mean, Little yeah. Rock's all Democrat, Southern. Yeah, you're saying areas, fuck everybody in the South. We understand what you're saying, Trent. Nothing wrong with that. You can say fuck everybody in the South. <laughs> They're pretty shitty sometimes. I mean, we're the Midwest. It ain't like it ain't much better. Yeah, than we're here. really exactly. shitty here. We're from <laughs> it don't Indiana. Get much better than here, kid. Okay, so seven forty one could easily been from right here. <laughs> seven forty one. Mark John Mark Byers. He was known as Mark Byers. So that's what I'm going to tell, call him from now on. But his name was John Mark Byers. He contacted the West Memphis Police Department to report his stepson Chris Byers, Christopher Byers, missing. He stated the, that Chris was last seen by him at 5.30 p.m. cleaning his yard. Uh, at 8 p.m., Officer Regina Meek arrived to take the report. Mark Byers told the officer about what he saw when he last saw Chris, but that Dana Moore, mother of Michael Moore, had seen the two boys playing at around 6 p.m. Um, while there, Officer Meeks got a call about a disturbance at the local Bojangles, restaurant not far from when where she was located what are you doing i'm listening go ahead okay oh is that how you listen so officer meeks this uh regina meeks got a disturbance call at the local bojangles restaurant not far from where she was located it was called in by manager marty king she left the residence and went to bojangles where she took the report through the drive-through window she didn't go in to investigate mm-hmm yeah. Can I get a number four Coke, and can somebody give me a statement? I heard there was There's a Blood all over here. the walls in here. Uh, yeah, just uh Can I get a seasoned curly? Make it a yeah. seasoned curly <laughs> and a half half and half diet Coke, because I'm going to diet. And I don't but want no ketchup. She had to go take care of something else that was more important than the blood on all over the bathroom wall in the restaurant. Yeah, well, I, I think it's funny that a eight-year-old boy is missing, and she immediately goes to Bojangles, and then goes through drive-through because she doesn't take well, it she serious. was already there anyway yeah i mean 
she's getting her nightly dinner. Yeah. Okay, so she had no idea there was actually a crime. She was just there to order, and they were like, "Oh, you here for the she's, crime?" She's like, "You damn she's right." Already, I am. She's already in line. Gets the call. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. check it out. Yeah, I'm in route. I'm the closest one to the crime here. She's like Wells watching her movies while sitting in the drive. <laughs> the dispatch can hear in the background. Talking about dragons, we're gonna go for you tonight. I'm telling you, that's an idea. Drive through movies. That makes your weight easier. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Marty King, the manager, stated that about 30 minutes before the call, a bleeding black man entered the restaurant and went into the women's restroom. He wandered away prior to the arrival of the officer. The employees reported that there was blood smeared all over the walls and around the floor. Suspect's gone. I don't know how he got by me out here in the drive-thru. <laughs> Bloody gone. black man. I never saw him. Bloody black man in the bathroom who disappears. Yes. It was Candyman. I know. Could be. Could I got to say real quick. And Listen I'll, to our archives. You can find out. That's right. We can elaborate later once you get through the bulk of yeah. this because I know you have a lot of, to get through. I'm kind of surprised. I have more details already, on all this. I'm surprised this is already being brought up so early because this was the one part of this whole thing that I felt like was so completely like Random. botched, overlooked, just whatever you want to call it. Like, how is this not the key to the whole thing? Bro, it would have been. I mean, this isn't even the bottom of the well they botched. Took a blood sample. Why? Yeah, we'll talk more. I'm sure. Yeah, the whole thing boggled my mind because this is yeah. like. Well, I can tell you why. Keep this part in mind. Is because just even though they didn't know it had anything to do with that same crime, like still just in case you want to have that on record, in case you get some other DNA that you need to match. Well, it's well clearly okay. a different no, no. crime, even if it's okay. Not. We're no, going. No. We're going to come back to this. I was going to say. So there's let's a move reason on. I said there's that. reason. You'll, you'll know here. Yeah, let's second. move on. So during that call, Officer Meek once again. Received another call about another disturbance. She apparently left quickly because of this call and didn't investigate the Bojangles any further. She said, if he comes back or if anything else happens, give us a call. This, also, can I get some more napkins in yeah, the bag? Can, do you have some horsey sauce? Do you have horsey sauce? This one was about someone throwing eggs at a house. <laughs> so she left a boy being missing... To go investigate a black man coming in with blood all over him in the drive-thru, and then leaves that call to go to, she the to only somebody's cop house on duty tonight. Like, yeah. <laughs> all right, I'm on my way. Like <laughs> to five go, disturbances to later. go somewhere for some dude throwing eggs. Well, the like, other why? cops were actually out searching, weren't they? I feel like the eggs. Not yet. Okay. Not yet. I feel like the eggs are. That one's a little stupid. No, the rest of the cops are actually at a Taco Bell sitting there having. A- <laughs> well, you got to remember, West Memphis is is not large, and some of those cops might have. I mean, it's usually whoever's in the area. Oh takes wait, the I'm call, sorry. Right? This was the South in the '90s, right? They weren't at Bojangles. They had to be at Shoney's, right? They were probably at Shoney's. <laughs> I love Although Shoney's. Bo- Bojangles <laughs> is pretty Shoney's. good. Do they had, still have Shoney's. Had a Shoney's bear. They do have Shoney's little- down south. Really? And those are still operable. I've never had either one. Oh, wow. oh my gosh, Wells! So <laughs> they during that call, she got another call about a missing another missing child. Now, so at nine twenty four p.m., Officer Meeks arrived at the home of Dana Moore, who reported her son missing. She told the officer that the time the, the last time she saw her son was when he was riding his bike with his two friends, Chris Byers and Stevie Branch. She sent her daughter, Dawn, who was slightly older than, than uh, her son, like she was around 10, I think, or 11, to look for them, but they left, and the daughter 
couldn't find them, so she came home. So it's like they saw her coming, they just took off real fast, right? So let's go back and let's just explain who these three kids are now that are missing that we've seen. Christopher Byers. Chris Byers was born to Melissa Defer and Ricky Murray. His parents divorced when he was four years old, and shortly afterward, his mother married John Mark Byers, who adopted the little boy. At the time of the disappearance, Byers was eight years old, four feet tall, weighed 52 pounds, and had light brown hair. He was last seen wearing blue jeans, dark shoes, a white long sleeve shirt. He lived with his mother, uh, Sharon Melissa Byers, his adoptive father, uh, John Mark Byers, and his stepbrother, Sean Ryan Clark, who was age 13 at the time. James Michael Moore, they called him Michael, was the son of Todd and Dana Moore. He was eight years old, four feet, two inches tall, and weighed 55 pounds, had brown hair. He was last seen wearing blue jeans a blue Boy Scouts of America t-shirt or shirt and an orange and blue Boy Scout hat. He was riding a light green bicycle. Moore enjoyed wearing his Scout uniform even, even when he was not at meetings, so he wore it most of the time. He was considered the leader of the three, and he lived with his parents and his nine-year-old sister, Dawn. And the third child is Steve Stevie Branch, and he was son of Stephen and Pamela Branch, who divorced when he was an infant. His mother was awarded custody and later married Terry Hobbs. Branch was eight years old, four feet two inches tall, and weighed 65 pounds and had blonde hair. He was last seen wearing blue jeans and a white t-shirt, riding a black and red bicycle. He was an honor student, and he lived with his mother, Pamela Hobbs, his stepfather, Terry Hobbs, and their four and half-year-old daughter and his half-sister Amanda. So that kind of tells their family history really quickly. Now we're going to move on. Uh, so that was 924 we were just talking about. Now a diff different officer was then at that time responding to a call about a third missing child from a person at Catfish Island Restaurant. Catfish Never heard Island. of it. It just Never sounds good. I bet their food's good. Any, any kind of crazy name like that, they have to have good food. Maybe it's like the kingfish equivalent for up here. <laughs> Catfish Island. They're like rubbing tails in New Albany. Fire. <laughs> oh, excuse me? <laughs> Never been. There is. It's rubbing yeah. butts is right next rubbing, to it. Yeah. Gentlemen's Club? It's half rubbing butts is the barbecue side, and then rubbing tails is the seafood side. Oh, of yeah. course. I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> so, Pam Hobbs, mother of Stevie, said that the stepfather, Terry Hobbs, showed up to her work with four-year-old daughter, Amanda, and no Stevie. He immediately made the call from there that Stevie was missing. So this guy showed up around 8.30 to 9 o'clock at the Catfish restaurant with just the stepdaughter, um, or the, her daughter, actually, their, their kid together, um, without Stevie, which was her son, his stepson. Yeah. Uh, he dropped her off earlier in her shift at work at whatever time, like four or five, I get into that later, but he dropped her off, came back and picked her up without Stevie. And that's, he went straight to the payphone and called the police before he told his wife that Stevie was missing. That's a detail that I find weird. We'll talk more about that later. Just so you Very know. weird. Uh, and what is his name? Terry Hobbs. Mm. All right. Okay. So he, he immediately made the call that there that Stevie was missing. He then got in the truck after placing the call and 
told her that Steve had been missing for a while. When the police arrived, Pan Hobbs told them that she hadn't seen Stevie since he got home from school and that he was going out to play with his two friends. Yeah, it's kind of common back then. I don't know. Like some people on some of the message boards were saying, why are they letting their kids just run around willy nilly? It's different times. It was different times. You guys know when you're young, we all went outside say, all who, night, day long. Didn't, like in a neighborhood yeah. like that, yeah. you get on your bike, you ride down the street. Speaking Dude, whatever. of it, I went across times, town. Like, like I was everywhere. I don't know if this happened in the true story or not, but. Like when she told when he left to go ride bikes with his friends and she was like, uh, make sure you're home by four thirty. Like, maybe it was just me. I was just thinking, like, how's he gonna know when it's four thirty? It's the nineties, he doesn't have a watch on his Check wrist. His cell phone. They were Boy yeah. Scouts, they looked <laughs> at the no sun. Kid. I was gonna say everybody knows that the curfew back then was when the street lights come on. That's a yeah. good point. Yeah. That was just a little something I noticed. Maybe there was just like one of those like banks or something that had a clock in town. You just like look up and see. In the middle of the woods? Yeah. Or oh. as Mean says, <laughs> They were Boy Scouts. Did he say he was going into the woods? That's where they usually played. Oh. We'll get into that later. But, I mean, you're talking, this is uh, 1993. May right? of 93. Hot already. It's middle of, middle of uh, Arkansas, so it's probably already hot. Um, anyway, yeah. It's whatever. So, where am I at? So the boys were often playing in the woods between their neighborhood and the highway in an area called Robin Hood Hills. Now, if you guys, if you guys, did you guys see any pictures of this online? Yeah. What to add some pictures? It's a small mm-hmm. area. It doesn't look like a big woods. I mean, it's not that many acres. It doesn't look like. Yeah. So it's it kind of shocked me when I first saw it when I was hearing this case for the first time, like how small that woods was. There was a little spot that uh, Torrance and I used to mess around like building forts and stuff at that's kind of like that in Madison. Yeah. Uh, between, like, Windridge and mm-hmm. J.C. Penney, you know what I'm talking about? That's that's exactly what it reminded me of, actually, as I was yeah. watching Yeah. I think, did, did we all, like, play in the woods with, in forts and stuff with friends? I'd say so. It was weird because it's, like, it was this big pile of dirt, and it was, like, brush, like, sticks and stuff everywhere. And there was actually a path that went in the middle. And somebody threw, like, an old door back there. So we drug that door over a minute, like the door to our fort. Yeah. <clears throat> and then the winter t- in the winter time, it had snowed in there. And remember, we went over and put like cans of coke in there, and just like dug it in the snow. Oh and then yeah. We went over to our fort. We just nature's cool. Yeah. You guys were living your full life <laughs> right Damn there. Right. Oh, we would purposely leave the house to go out to that fort in the middle of the winter. Mm-hmm. That's magazines awesome. out there and stuff. Mm-hmm. What kind of magazines? Well, play your damn business. <laughs> Mind your business. Playboy player. He <laughs> straight up was like, Playboy. Yeah. No shame. And probably a couple Game Informer magazines. <laughs> or, no, hey, don't tell people that. It would have been Game Pro back then. My mm-hmm. bad. Dating yourself. That we got from the library. Mm-hmm. Nice. Shout out to my buddy, Robert Daringer. We used to have an actual tree fort out in his woods. Ah. If you're listening to this, Robert, I hope you are. I think he does listen. We'll see. Like up in a tree? It was actually elevated a little bit. I think his He's dad still out built in that it. Fort, as we, <laughs> we used to play army and all kinds of shit. Shoot each other, shoot zombies. We could still do that. Shoot each other? Yeah. You'd like that. You do you? carry a gun. Let's so. go paintballing, guys. Oh, God. I'm not trying to do that, man. I hear it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Along with all the other stuff yeah. we're going to do. We can still play a little bit of fucking bitch. No, yeah. Sure. Hey, if I wanted to Cut get Trent, if I wanted to get hurt, I'd stand up right now. Don't worry, buddy. We won't shoot your beautiful face. It's not the breadwinner. 
All right, so this is after uh, around 9.30 to 10 o'clock. Police, like some of the police, some neighbors, and the parents were now searching. They went house to house and in the woods and at a truck stop that's around the backside of the woods uh, called the Blue Beacon, and it was right next to another, like a full-service, like convenience store truck stop. Um, and then there was a highway, if you've seen it, seen the pictures, there's a highway that goes behind that. So, you know, their housing is very close to those woods slash close to the truck stop, truck truck wash, and stuff like that. So, you know, that, that kind of throws, you know, suspicion. Could it be a trucker? Could it be somebody on the highway killing kids and leaving kind of thing? Um, Mark Byers continued along with local police about midnight after the parents started going home. And the next day they got help from various departments as well as the sheriffs. So I'll, I'll go into more detail. That's just kind of an overview of what happened on that night. All right. So in May 6, 1993 in the Robin Hood Hills area, officer Steve Jones noticed a black tennis shoe floating in the water of the Creek of Robin Hood Hills. Uh, at around 1.30 p.m. Detective Brian Ridge got into the creek to search, basically wading through the muddy waters with his hands and shoes getting stuck along the way on the bottoms. He bumped into something, and the naked, lifeless body of Michael Moore came up. So already the very first uh, victim the very next day, you know, they're finding finding this kid in the creek. Uh, the body was hogtied. And if you guys know what hogtide is, it wasn't fully hogtied the way you would really hogtie like a, a cow or a hog, right. you know, in a in a competition. So it wasn't all four appendages together. It was left to left, you know, left wrist to left ankle, right wrist to right ankle behind them. Yeah. Does that make sense? Um, and then if you guys watched any of the documentary, you saw those graphic pictures at the very yeah. beginning. Uh which is probably the worst part of the documentary is seeing it's that crap. Definitely is. I was even surprised at how much the movie showed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it wasn't wasn't pretty. Wasn't fun. But uh do you think the way they were tied up, like they obviously attempted to hog time, but they couldn't completely do it, I guess because it was just shoestrings they used. Yeah, and that's an important note that it was shoestrings later on. But uh one of the original thoughts were is it could have been somebody that was in the military because apparently that was a hog tying method for people in, during Vietnam or something right in Cambodia and stuff mm. so apparently that was one of the one of the thoughts originally so uh, his head area also had some injuries to it so I mean not only was he naked and, and drowned but around his head and neck area there were a lot of injuries it looked like he'd been beaten. Uh, they took Michael's body out, and Detective Ridge went back into the water to search again. After a moment, he pulled out the body of Stevie Branch. Stevie Branch was tied up in the same exact way, along with similar wounds to his face. He also had some cuts and what later was thought of as possible bite marks around his face and neck area. After his body was pulled out, the de detective went back in a third time, and he eventually pulled out the body of Christopher Byers. And that was down the creek a little ways from the other two. So that when they drug him out and you see those pictures, you see two bodies, and then you see the one by itself. All right? Um, so obviously, and it, did you guys see the water 
itself in the yeah. documentary. I mean, it was murky, muddy. I mean, it looked like an old pond type water. Yeah, typical uh, backwoods creek water. Yeah, and it would. I mean, I don't think outside of like that scared me the way you said that. Oh, backwoods creek water. I, I know it. <laughs> I know them waters uh, real well. Yeah, but it it looked like it was a bunch of like really thick muddy kind of water that would either like not have a lot of flow to it or it would only be there if there was a lot of rain you know it was kind of like a, a fill ditch or a, a release ditch from from runoff water and that's where a lot of the rain came to and stuff and then ran wherever it would go to so it was very muddy um after the body was pulled out uh they noticed that, or when he was pulling the body out, he noticed that it was not only tied the same as the other two, but it had he had stuff about his head and face. But the difference between him and the other two bodies was they were face up, and he was face down when he came up out of the water. So he'd been anchored face down for some reason. And when he flipped him over, uh, it looked like his... Uh, he'd been castrated. So that was the main difference. He also had the cuts around his head and face, uh, but the the uh, penis had been uh, what looked like cut at a downward angle and stripped, and, and then the head of the penis was gone completely. And you guys probably in the documentary saw that image in the first one. You guys yeah. all watched the first documentary? Yes. So the documentary we're talking they about that picture on the documentary. Yeah, I mean it's a documentary. It's different than a movie, you know. I mean they can't get sometimes that graphic in a movie, but documentaries they can go, you know, all the way if it's public record. Yeah. So, um, it's pretty graphic, pretty tragic looking. And I'll be honest with you, when I first saw it, it just it was shocking. It took me back. Absolutely. Um. But that that's the that's the first thing they noticed was, you know, the head wounds, what could be different cuts around the face and head and neck area, and then he's obviously like looked like he'd been castrated. Um the bodies were anchored down to the bottom of the creek with sticks. So this this points towards, you know, somebody taking their time to try to hide evidence, obviously. Uh their clothing was also anchored to the bottom with sticks pushed into mud. Some of those sticks were regular sticks, and some had been sharpened. So that also shows taking a little bit of time, right? Uh, the clothes were missing. One sock and two pair of underwear. So two of their underwears were missing. One sock was missing. An odd thing was that the pants were completely inside out and zipped or buttoned up. Now, I don't know what that could allude to, but... If I was a police officer and I was smart, I would use that as one of the things that only the killer would know kind of thing. I wouldn't release that to the public. Of course, that got released to the public. <laughs> yeah. Right? Right. Along with a lot of other shit. Yeah, there so, was a lot about this investigation that wasn't right. Yeah. It's pretty rough. Okay, the bodies were all out of the water and on the bank at 1.45 p.m., and the coroner's office wasn't called for a couple hours, and they arrived at 3.20. That seems kind of weird. So did you see that in the movie or anything, or the documentary hardly at all? Do you remember hearing that? So, so it was like the coroner's office took forever to get there. You're talking small town Arkansas, 
Like I don't want to bury any leads. That's why I didn't say anything. <laughs> just it's. I mean, you can. It's all right. We can talk about it. But just create. It's crazy that it would take almost an hour and forty minutes to get there. Yeah, I don't remember that detail being uh, in the movie. So the ins- the issue I have with this whole thing is besides that obvious is the time frames you just said Mm -hmm. on top of the fact that they don't seem to know what they're doing with this investigation they've thrown out several different time frames they have thrown out different times of whether it being day or night you're talking about the cops? Yes. Okay. So during this investigation, they have uh, they have thrown <laughs> they've thrown out different hypotheticals like, well, this could have happened at day, this could happen at night. They've been missing for this long, and I don't mean to speak ill, but at the same time, like, and I'm no cop, and I'm not saying I can lead an investigation, but watching that trial, man, they just seem so incompetent. Oh yeah, like they oh, didn't know what they were doing, and they were just like doing whatever they could to, like, sound like they knew what they were doing. Seems to be a theme in a lot of these stories. But it seems like when you do something like that and you try to, like, make it sound like, well, if I say it confident enough and I say this, I go out and say this and and get this witness or this suspect and do this, case closed, nobody questions it, nobody bats an eye, but it's just, like, me being just a normal innocent bystander just watching a documentary immediately when I was watching I'm not sure if you guys felt this way but even like the first fucking part of the investigation they started talking about I was like that doesn't make any sense yeah this already doesn't make any sense yeah. nothing of this is adding up here I mean, the thought and I'll touch more on that in a second the thought crossed my mind which we could speculate later once you get to the end of the trial stuff too but like it had crossed my mind that you know the crime was so horrible and you said small town southern America. I feel like they just wanted to get an answer quickly to get justice for the families, kind of thing. You ever that kind of you ever think yeah. about that? Like you know, it's yeah. such a horrible thing. They want to kind of like obviously they don't want to well, speed through and do it wrong. That's to be debated. We can debate that later. But I just feel like sometimes they want to get a quick resolution to it. So yeah, I'm waiting for a certain part to get to before I dive too much. I'm not it. gonna. I'm not going to say that's wrong because I think that's definitely part of it. But I also think a big part of it is they are small town. They don't have the training probably that they should. This has probably never, ever happened anywhere close to them. It's big city Memphis exactly. that that shit happens. Yeah. And that's probably just shootings that can be solved fairly quickly. I mean, this well, is did, this looks like a serial killer weird shit, right? Did they bring anyone in? Are you getting into that? I'm, I'm coming to that, yeah. But even without, uh, like, the training for this, as mm-hmm. a having the basic training, I would imagine to become a police officer, you should have some red flags thrown up when there's inconsistencies in the stories you're being told. But they ignore well, a lot of that. Not if you're trying to lead somebody into confessing to something so you can pin it on them. Yeah, that's, the that's true. With this. But, but we don't have that yet. Do. We don't have that yet. So, really, you're just saying these – we're saying at this point these guys are kind of inept. I mean, this is a little yeah. bit Which makes you think it's gonna go toward that direction. Like Exactly. They're gonna do something shady. The whole thing it. is it's like they don't know what to do. I think they're just overwhelmed. They're trying to hold that. their shit together and act like they know what they're doing, but they're overwhelmed. 
obviously because the one the one lady goes to five different calls on the same night you know so they're overwhelmed as a police force well and then also like the whole town had already come to like the conclusion that these three boys were devil worshippers and they what were are bad. you talking about we're not even there yet we haven't got to the boys yet we uh, haven't even mentioned that's the thing like, there's no suspects yet yeah we're so talking at this point, beginning. Like, the police are just like leading up to that's what i'm saying i don't want to they're leading up to we don't know what the hell we're do, doing so we need to do something yeah which leads to the boys yeah i'm not trying to, i'm not jumping on you i'm just saying don't jump ahead because we don't there's nothing there yet. So the cops at this point, they don't know any of that stuff, right? Okay. So uh, this was a mistake because the heat and the environment, you know, them putting sheets on the body, he, get, he gave him permission before he got there to put sheets on the bodies, right? It was a mistake because the heat and the environment could have hindered the coroner from determining a time of death. Now, by the way, it causes heat to speed up, which causes more insect infestations, which causes more decomposition the quicker the body heats up. Therefore, it's harder to determine the time of death from the previous day. So by already the coroner telling them to do that, he's telling them the wrong thing. So we got cops that don't know what they're doing quite yet, coroner that doesn't, or medical examiner that doesn't know what he's doing, so the lead detective, Gary Gitchell, the bald-headed dude in the movies and in the docs, had to tell the parents and the media that this is now a triple homicide. All the parents, especially Pam Hobbs, which if you've seen the movie or you've seen the video of her breaking down, she completely breaks down in front of the few cameras that were already there. Right? Very, very tragically breaks down right there at the end of that lane leading into the forest. Mm-hmm. You remember that scene? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Gitchell also, and this goes back to what you were just saying, turned down the help of the state police who'd called and offered their forensics, extra help looking, this and that. He turned it down. He seemed kind of cocky in the documentary. Yeah. Like, why would yeah. you not take all the help you can get on something? I mean, like I would have called the FBI. I would have thought it was a serial killer or something right away. I mean, anything. It just looked weird. No, no, three we, children. We got it. Yeah, we got he, it he was definitely a little cocky about it. smug, cocky. So, mm-hmm. here's where it all goes to hell from here. It's already kind of starting to snowball. The police that were on scene then started talking about the case over the scanners, <laughs> and we all know everybody's grandma has a scanner in their friggin' house, right? <laughs> So it was picked up by local newspapers, and the very next day they ran everything they were saying over the scanners. All their speculations and everything. So rumors started spreading quickly just from that. Just from from the lead detective not closing everything off, telling everybody we're doing radio silence, saying we're not saying anything to the press. No. This motherfucker goes out <laughs> day one's like it's an eleven, you know. <laughs> what an oh, idiot. Uh, scale from one to ten, how confident are you? Eleven. 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 Out of ten, Trent. He looks like Will Farrell playing that one character, the uh what's the guy that does the uh actors theater? 
James Lipton. James Lipton. <laughs> he does. James now, Lipton said, without glasses. Code. When he said that, that was a little bit later after they had the suspects, right? Yeah. I'm just saying, like, this dude's leading up to that kind of shit. He's just cocky as hell. He doesn't have control of anything. He's saying like that. He's turning down the help of the state police. It's just stupid. Why would you turn down the state what cops? What about the karma police? Did he turn those down? Because he wants to be the karma guy to, to crack it. He wants was to his, be the guy. was his last case, and they wanted to go out on a bright note. Well, that too, I think. You know, it was his last case, yeah. I think they're probably, I mean, again, we talk a lot about cops in the show, but not a cop, but I think there's a cockiness to being a cop and being an investigator. You want to be the one to solve it, to, to you know. Crack the case. Well, that, and you want to be the one to give the family's closure and say, "Don't worry." I'm well, that too. I almost said you want to be the hero, but case. like, there's yeah. no hero in this How story. But you know what I mean. Hero, baby. <laughs> Thank you, Enrique. So we just talked about the initial finding, right? The discovery. So we talked about them disappearing, the discovery of the bodies. Now we're going to talk about the initial part of the investigations. So Gary Gitchell was telling people he narrowed it down to these He'll three things. He's going to get you. Gary's going to get you. He's going to get you. Surprised he didn't say that. The killer was either... It's slogan. The, key, the killer was either, one, someone the boys knew, two... Someone they didn't know. A stranger, <laughs> or three, a group of people. This is some crack investigating right <laughs> so here. So I, I put... Let me, give you the, let me give you the facts. Wouldn't you they agree either, those were the three options? They either knew yeah. them, didn't know them, or we're about to get to know him. It it could have been Bigfoot option four. <laughs> option four. God, Saskatchewan. They were either related or they weren't related. I can't decide. Okay, so the cops didn't focus that much on the families from the get go, even though the homicide of children. I looked this up. Is higher from the hands of family members than any other group, according to studies. Two characteristics that particularly distinguish the homicides of young children from those of other juvenile victims are that homicides of young children are pr- committed primarily from family members at a 71% rate. That is almost three quarters, Trent. So you're telling me you got these under 10-year-old kids that get brutally murdered and the first pe- people you don't really, really look at are the family members? They questioned them, but it was... Not- not to a the lot. extremity of what they yeah. should have. Well, I'm mean, sure not. The one detective tried to get samples from the Hobbses, right? Not initially, right? What's that? I, didn't they, I said the one detective tried to get samples from the Hobbses, right? They got the hair samples at some point. I don't know. Well, he took her hair sample, but I don't think he ever took a sample from Mr. Hobbs, did he? No. I think Later. he did, but it wasn't in the movie. It wasn't in the movie, and she, she didn't... Okay, the movie has a lot of bad facts in it. Like, the timeline in the movie is not right. So I just want to throw that out there. I was basing that knowledge off of, like, the information, they, the factual information they give you at the end. I'm pretty sure it said that they never collected a sample from Hobbs. They don't till later. But that movie was made well before that. So we got to remember that. That okay. movie was made before that. Okay, so the cops didn't focus on the families that much. Um, common, here's another thing. Common... Ways that kids are killed, um, 68% use personal weapons. For example, hands or feet to batter, strangle, or suffocate victims, which is kind of exactly what happened, right? You use your foot to suffocate somebody? To beat them to death, kick them to death. Oh, okay. 
So it says, on their throat. it says personal weapons. So they don't use guns and knives to kill was, their kids. They smother them. They choke them. They suffocate them. They gotcha. drown them. So it's usually something that's not a weapon, like knives and guns and stuff. Uh, the police thought that the ligatures could have been done by more than one person, so it sort of sent them down that path immediately. And they didn't think that a group of family members would kill someone, right? So... Uh. Their initial thoughts were, because these ligatures are the way they are, and I told you that tie into where they thought it was kind of like the Vietnam type thing, you know, mm. uh, torture stuff. It sent them down this uh, this kind of path that had been multiple people killing these kids. It couldn't have just been one person. It couldn't just been two. It had to have been multiple people, right? So, here we go. In the first days, they collected blood, urine, and samples, and foot impressions, water samples, etc. from different people, right, uh, while gathering evidence. There was also a hair from a black man recovered from one of the sheets covering the boys. So, that harkens back to the Bojangles story. Mr. Right? Bojangles. The manager of Bojangles called the police... When news started coming out to remind them that the black man with blood all over him was in the restroom that he'd reported. So, obviously, people were getting this still, and cops were still talking, and they were still getting some of this information somehow through yeah, rumors. It's like the fast food manager that has to be like, hey, hey, remember this guy in blood? I know. In restaurant? It's ridiculous. about him. Oh, yeah. Nobody ever followed up. This is another police thing. Nobody ever followed up on her report that she did through the drive-thru. Can you imagine that? Yeah. So inept. <laughs> she probably didn't even take a report. She did. did she, she did. She took, but nobody wow. followed up that initial report. She took and wiped her ass with it, but she took. So by the time a follow up happened, fries in the papers. <laughs> it was on a napkin, but she put her greasy fries on it and just smeared them off. Yeah, well, I've got the notes right. Well, oh. that that brings it up. By the time that there was a follow up on this, the smeared blood everywhere had been cleaned off the walls, floors, and toilet. Of course, because this is later. Mm-hmm. Uh, the statement then was that the man entered the restaurant. So this is what you know an employee and the uh, manager said. Uh, when the man entered the restaurant and looked to be bleeding from his arm, he looked to be bleeding from his arm. He's about five foot eleven. He was thin. He looked like he was in his twenties or thirties, and he was very dirty. He was wearing jeans, a denim, sleeveless shirt, and black shoes. Uh, they did take a blood sample scraping at this time. That they said. They could get later, uh, check it later, because there was just a little bit of blood on the wall left. Um, but somehow it got lost at the police station when mm. they went back to test it. Somehow. Hmm. So did you? Uh, when did you send that blood sample off? Oh, I didn't. I lost it. <laughs> blood? What? What do you mean you lost that, it? I thought that was Arby's sauce. Yeah. The blood sample you took blood sample? for the purpose of getting tested, and you just lost it. Wait a minute. Doesn't this? I know I put that blood sample somewhere around here. Doesn't this shit remind you of that stupid documentary on Netflix about those dudes up in Wisconsin? First well, of all, that's a great documentary. And also, I love that documentary. Oh but yeah, I, I this still whole think, thing. This whole thing is very. Similar. I still think that little dude did it though. I'm, I'm still thinking he did. Dudes up in Wisconsin. Which one is that? Talk about coercing a confession. We'll get into that. I, th- I think the old person or the young person should get out of it because they co- definitely coerced him. But Oh, you said little. I thought you meant the young one. No, the little short dude. Oh, the, the old The main one. old dude, yeah. You guys want to elaborate on what the fuck you're talking about? <laughs> Making a murderer. Making a murderer. Oh. Right. Long time ago. Yeah. 
There's a new season that just came out. What? Yeah. I've season watched a couple two? episodes. Of that story? If you're talking I don't about know season if it's two, that's story. been a couple of years now. But yes, there is two seasons of it, I think. I'm not sure yeah. which one that is. Go watch it. It's really good. Yeah, but I've seen so many, I don't remember which one. Oh, you said Making a Killer, didn't you? Making a Murderer is what it's I called. I think there's another one that's like, I Became a Murderer or something like that. Well, this is a lo- about a little guy that like uh, gets gets in trouble when he, uh, he gets, wrongly gets some money, gets wrongly younger. convicted, gets out, and then gets convicted again of something totally different, which is a rape and a murder. Okay, so the one you're all talking about, the, both seasons are about the same case? Yes, because the show I'm talking about it's a, it's a show where like each episode's about a different killer. Oh no no different uh, show then. Okay, Todd and Dana Moore. Uh, this is their statements. So I'm going to go over the different statements. Okay, Todd and Dana Moore made these statements. Dana stated that she last saw the boys at six to six thirty p.m. riding their bikes. Just like I said before, Chris Byers was riding was riding on the back of one of the bikes heading north towards the woods. Apparently. Uh, he rode a skateboard a lot and that comes up later on with the uh, buyers mark buyers guy because he didn't want him earlier in the day to ride his skateboard unsafely in the street the story you're telling right now about the bikes is there an approximate time on that six to six thirty on that day yes okay dana moore which is michael moore's mom said she's basically one of the last ones to see him uh she sent her daughter don 10 years old i said this earlier to go get them, but they were already out of sight. Dana said that she saw three teenage boys coming out of the woods, one white male and two black males. The white male was wearing a yellow and black outfit and yellow and black shoes. Dana called the missing boys, called in the missing boys at 924. So that was their statement. Now, that could have been random kids because people walked through that area all the time. But this was was 6 to 630. Yes. Okay. 6 to 630. They walked out. Those kids walked out. Okay, but the other I'm kids were going for a reason. Those other kids were going in though, so it's not like she was. She the was supposed to go right running. after them. So the, I don't. Those three kids could not have been involved in my estimation because well, if she was running to go get them and they were they weren't running out, they were walking out of yeah. the woods area. So if they were walking out, it had to have happened in my mind after that because those boys couldn't have done it. They had no blood. They had no mud and nothing on them. And she and even mentioned their still sh- in town at the time. And yeah. she even mentioned their shoes, what they looked like. They had no mud on them. See what I'm saying? Because somebody would have How got in the water. How could they have been down by a creekside with no mud on their shoes? It's not possible. Not. not they possible. weren't by the creekside. They were I just saying down there in the woods. No. Okay. So the wooded area has these trails that go different ways. Have mm-hmm. you looked at it yet? Like any of that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's like a, a an access road trail. Then there's that little thing that goes across the creek, the pipe. And then there's trails that go off in the woods in different directions. Right. One trail goes over by the Blue Beacon. One trail goes further back in the woods. And one trail that they found them in goes to the right where the creek's at. Right. I guess my point was where the crime scene was was right where the creek is. So if these boys were allegedly at that crime scene, even if those children were down there and they come out with no mud or water on their shoes, you see what I'm saying? No. Because it's that same. Well, the crime scene is at a creek. I never said they were at the crime scene. She said she saw them coming. I didn't say you were. I'm okay. saying if that's why I don't think they were at the. Oh crime yeah, scene. that's uh, I agree with that. Yeah, they because if they were, on. they would have had something on their shoes. You agree with yeah, me now? Exactly. Okay. And that's why okay. I was saying is because her his shoes she saw that were black and yellow. Right. And I think so, that right there should have already proved that things are conflicting. 
from the jump. Yeah. Black and yellow, black and yellow. <clears throat> anyway. All right. <laughs> Melissa Byers and Mark Byers. This is their story. Uh, Mark saw Christopher cleaning the yard around 5.30 p.m. He then took his older son to the courthouse for something and came back around 6.30. I don't remember what it was. It was something about he was a witness to some kind of, like, wreck or something. He had to, like, put a statement there. I don't I don't remember what it was. I read it, but it didn't seem important. So I don't know why I'm even fucking talking about it. It was a waste of time. <laughs> anyway. Hey, buddy, if you feel like talking about it, it's important. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't write it down, so it wasn't important. <laughs> so anyway, uh, he came back around 6.30 and noticed Chris gone already. So 5.30 to 6.30, one hour gap. Chris is already gone. So that kind of coincides with what Dana Moore said. She saw him between 6 and 6.30. Two of them on bikes, one on the bike, no skateboard, right? Uh, he was concerned that Chris was riding a skateboard unsafely again. Mark admitted later that he had paddled Chris for riding it unsafely earlier in the day. So you remember that? I think it's in part two. Mm. He was talking about, they were asking questions about was he, you know, does he paddle his kid and did he paddle him on that day? He hit and him all with that a stuff. belt, didn't he? Hit him yeah. with a belt. He said his pants were up, his jeans were on. He hit him with those jeans. He said he just swatted him a few times, this and that, right? Yeah, I so, thought that was weird too for the time. Like, what was it, an attorney that was questioning him, like asking him, was his pants down or were they up when you were whooping him? Like, yeah. Kids got their asses whooped. I thought it was during the... It was pretty normal. I thought they asked him that. Did they ask him that during the trial? I thought they asked him that during the, when he was taking the lie detector. They did, and I think later on he was asking him that when they brought him in after he had that knife. Yeah. yeah. So when they were questioning him, he said something about oh, that. Oh, yeah, but when he was on the stand. Gotcha. I don't think it was... It, it was... I mean, it, during that time, people piled all the time right yeah, i got yeah. paddled you know people yeah you had to go out and get your switch yeah that kind of stuff for sure um but i think what's interesting about it is like he freely admits it but then the the defense team was trying to basically set a pattern of you are violent but they started with that they didn't start with his actual violence in his past yeah. Right. They started with, did you paddle him on that day? Mm -hmm. And I guess they were going to set that up, but we'll talk more about that later. Um, anyway, uh, Mark said that Melissa was on the phone. So he and Ryan, his son, uh, went around looking for Christopher. They didn't find the bikes and they actually ran into a police officer. Uh, it was around seven 30. So the police officer said that if Chris doesn't show up by eight to call it in, Mark went back home saw Dana Moore, and also met Terry Hobbs, Stevie's stepfather, for the first time ever. So Stevie Hobbs, after 8, or around 8, all of a sudden, they meet him, is what they said. So the timelines get really weird here, so we're going to have to go back and forth later on. Uh, he told them what the cop said, and he finally called it in. Mark didn't wait around after talking to the police officer. Uh, Meeks... <laughs> And took his son, Ryan, and they headed back to the Robin Hood Hills area to check around again. Other people at this point in time started searching, and he saw Mark and others in the woods throughout. At one time, they ran into Terry Hobbs searching, supposedly. About 10.30, after searching with Ryan and a cop, Mark was instructed to go back home while they continued the search. Mark called in again later and was told that there were no updates on the missing boys. He then calls the sheriff's department pissed off. 
So he starts complaining to get more resources out there on the search. Mind you, the cops denied all extra help from the state police at this time. So got three missing boys on that night. Hey, dude, we got it. Yeah. We got it. So. 11 out of 10. I know, right? Right. Mark and his son left again and went to the truck stop area. So they drove around to the truck stop area behind the Blue Beacon, and they were looking around that area for him. Um, He actually had his son point the car towards the woods, and Mark walked into the car a little way, or the car, walked into the woods a little ways where the light would see him, and he started yelling the boy's name over and over and stuff like that. Uh, He didn't return home till 2.30 a.m., so Mark was out there looking for him till 2.30 a.m. And I do have to say, you know, as much shit as Mark gets in those documentaries, it looks like he's concerned at this point. Yeah, but the shit later he gets, he kind of brought on himself. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I'm I'm just, I'm making the point, does he not look like the most concerned parent right now? He does now, but wouldn't you if you were trying to cover something up? You know what I mean? Not saying he yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, like, yeah, of course he's going to look concerned, but at the same time, and maybe he really is. And if he is, that's that's great. But at the same time, like knowing what we know now, watching all those documentaries, it's just you don't know what to believe. You don't know what to think. Yeah, I mean, without the documentaries, though, it's it's he looks like he's trying on to paper. Help. Yeah, yeah, on paper. Uh, so they all went out they the next do, day. Though. That's what I, that's my point. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Because wouldn't, wouldn't you want somebody to yeah, believe that you most killers always want to be close to the investigation. True, true. That's or one, because sense. they get off on it a little bit, and well, two, just so they can you're keep assuming, up with what's going on. You're assuming on. these are, like, killers, like, thrill killers. Thrill killers do that. Killers that are, like, parents and stuff, they try to be hands-off. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, in, in things I've watched before, they usually try to be hands-off because they don't want the light on them. This dude does the exact opposite. He's like, look at me, you know, in every He's situation. A attention slut. He definitely is. So he goes home at 2.30 a.m., sits around. He can't really sleep, obviously. Uh, about 5.30 to 6, other parents come to Mark's house and knock on the door. They all went out that morning and started searching and talking to the police again. So that was the buyer's story. Now, notice the mom's not around that much she's there but she's not around as much as mark right we'll talk about her later they said she was on the phone this and that i'll just go we're we're, i'm just gonna say it right out right now because i can't prove it but she has a long history of drug abuse just like he did Mm -hmm. but at that time she was hooked on heroin supposedly okay supposedly Mm. i mean she had she had some major problems anyway trent you ever done heroin no. Okay. You're being quiet over there. <laughs> Robin got to the heroin talk. You <laughs> no. Just, no. No, I haven't. No, I haven't. <laughs> no, Robin. He fentanyl straight, no. sir. That's how he rolls. So this is the uh, the Hobbs statement, the Hobbs family, which is uh, Stevie Branch's mom and stepdad, Pam Hobbs, originally Branch, and Terry Hobbs. They had a daughter together named Amanda, who was four years old. When Pam was working her night shifts, either Terry or Terry's friend David Jacoby, which we need to talk about later, would often watch the kids. Pam saw Stevie after school before she was going to work. Stevie went out to play with Michael Moore. Soon Christopher Byer showed up to see where the other two were, and Pam 
uh, told him they were out playing. Now he saw a cartoon that he liked on in their living room. And so he was like, can I watch this? And she's like, yeah, that's all right. Just, you know, make sure you shut the door and turn it off and you leave. So he goes in and watches a cartoon for a while. After his cartoon is over, he goes out and looks for him. When he left, Pam told him to tell Stevie to come home at that time. She was like, you know, it's been long enough telling him to come home. So 4.30 came around, and Stevie wasn't home. So Terry drove Pam along with Amanda to Terry's work. Okay? Mm. So she didn't see Stevie, but at this time, it was under the assumption Stevie was with his friends, which we know by the other parents that he actually was with his friends. Because mm-hmm. the more mom saw it. Uh, where am I at? The more mom, not more moms. More moms. So Terry had to drive Pam along with Amanda to Terry's work, or to uh, Pam's work, which was at the Catfish uh, place. And Terry said that he drove around with Amanda looking for the boys for a while, but he decided to go home around 6.30. So he dropped her off between 4.30, 5.30, and he rode around for a little bit, came home at 6.30, apparently. Now, I did, I got confused on my research on what happened to Amanda, but apparently she was staying with somebody else during the time of all this stuff happening in the search after he brought her back. And I was kind of confused on what was going on, but we'll talk about that later maybe, because uh, I was like, where'd that girl go to? She just disappeared. So Dana Moore showed up then, and Terry followed her back to her house where he met uh, Mark Byers for the first time, supposedly. This was his statement, right, by the way. And notice that timeline doesn't match Mark Byers' statement, right? Mm. He said he saw them later on, right? So that doesn't match up. Uh, Mm. This is now between 7.30 and 8, and Terry said he went to pick up David Jacoby to help search. They went to search the woods. After searching, he took David home and went with Amanda to pick Pam up at the restaurant. That is where he made the call to the police and then went and told her. And then they drove around, uh, eventually went back and picked up David Jacoby again. The three went into the woods, but Pam came out due to the mosquitoes. So apparently, for all the people that was going in the woods, the mosquitoes were so bad they would just eat you alive while you're in there because it was like already really hot that that early summer. Yeah. Gotcha. And it was at a you know in one of those like really moist type moist. Yeah, moist. they uh, mosquitoes like to be around those dirty waters too, like you talked about. Yeah. Who doesn't? Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Not this guy. <laughs> so. Um, she she had to come back. Uh, Terry and David searched for longer and eventually came out when they met with others, including the first time Mark Byers met David Jacoby at 11.30. Police barely talked with Terry, Terry Hobbs during the rest of the investigation. So there's, there's some timeline issues already in some of these statements. All these statements were from the May 10th statements, some seven days later after the initial stuff, right? Is that right? Did I... Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure you're right. Seven days after the bodies were found? It's just... Or five days later. Five days later. Five? Yeah. So some five days later, you know, all these statements were made. So May 26, 1993, uh, the investigation is starting to go cold. No suspects, and the medical examiner hasn't reported anything back to the cops. So, old Gary Gitchell 
keeps on calling the Emmy. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. And the Emmy is obviously incompetent at this point because it's been a while, May 26. But, yeah, you guys know anything about medical examiners in each county or the coroners in each county, right? A little bit here in Indiana, you know about them. Yeah. They are voted in. Yes. Yep. But some states do not require licensure or a Mm. state board exam for that job. Interesting. Arkansas just happens to be one of those states. Of course. They also apparently don't require you to have a legitimate PhD to give your professional opinion. So the only thing the cops have to go on are the ligatures and the statements from the parents at this point. So lead Gary Gitchell sends in a demanding request for information to the Emmy office. He asked about the cuts, bites, the sticks in the mud. Uh, had they been sexually abused? What about that hair found on the sheet, et cetera, et cetera. He just asked all these questions, kind of getting bitchy about it. Um, nothing really happened for a while. Uh, luminol tests luminol tests on the uh, creek bed did show some blood near the creek. So that's kind of something in the documentary that's a little false. I was going to say, but it's very little, right? Yeah, it's, it's but it's enough to where you could tell somebody had been bleeding. Right, it wasn't like one drop or something, but they yeah, found some. But here's the thing, and again, I don't want to bear the lead, but if if these boys are murdered here, there's gonna be more than that drop, right? I think the drop has to do with the fact that. Well, I didn't say it was a drop. It wasn't a large amount, but there was enough blood to see that people had been bleeding. Now it could have been them carrying the bodies mm-hmm. and bleeding out, or it could have been they beat the crap of them really quick. They bled a little bit and got them in the water immediately. I mean, there's, there's all Was kinds of possibilities. Two or three where they said that they found a little bit of blood. Cause I no, I researched it. Uh, I was going to say, I thought in the first one, they talked about there not being any blood at the scene. They did. That's what he's saying about. Yeah. The, the documentary the, says the false facts that. about there not being any blood whatsoever. They make it uh, seem like there's okay. no blood. But here's right. the thing. The, God, I hate fucking being honest. The cutting of a certain appendage. It's going to bleed a lot. It's going to bleed a lot. Especially if it's done there. Then I can imagine that being what had bled. Because I know you're probably about to get to it. But they did say that there was evidence that there was movement when it was cut. Signaling that he was like still alive. Maybe you didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, in the, that's in part two, I think, of the documentary. The ME says that, right? No, not the ME. The guy that um, the defense lawyer for the Jesse Miskelly medical examiner that was on stand. No, the that guy, which is the guy with glasses and the beard. Yes, can't remember his name. Yes, him, the lawyer. He gets contacted by an expert of some sort. I can't remember yeah, his yeah. name or what he did. You know the guy I'm talking I about. I bring it up later, I think. Okay, so when they're sitting there talking, he shows them the pictures. He's the one that brings up like the bite and everything. Yes. If you want to edit this part out, if I'm burying it. No, no, no. We'll, we'll... He brings up about that, and then he says there's a mark right in the pelvis area that signifies like a blunt force trauma. And when he does that, something about there's like a scrape of some sort. Which indicates movement. Yeah. Which means either he hit him so hard it moved or he was trying to get away when it happened. Yeah. 
And he, I mean, he was, they were saying like speculating, like either he did that or it was like the uh, guard on the knife that hit him really mm-hmm. hard. And he kind of pulled and sideways like, when he was cutting he, his, it really hard. He hit yeah. him so hard that the body had moved when he did it. Yeah. Yes. You, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. 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 I remember that now. Uh, so, so really nobody knew if they bled out there or they were killed somewhere else and were brought there. So it was still like, you know, it's all of those speculation. Later it was ruled that Michael Moore and Stevie Branch had actually died from drowning and Christopher, who died from his injuries, uh, probably bled out according to the Emmy at the time, Frank Peretti, when he finally released his report and, you know, it was put in into uh, documentation. Uh, so, you know, they did have like certain things in their lungs that made it look like they were breathing in water as opposed to, uh, Christopher Byers. So I don't know which would be worse. I mean, they both seem pretty bad. Yeah. Bleeding out would take a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, you know, just drowning sounds horrible with your hands tied, especially Especially after you've been beat and you're not seeing anything. Yeah. Like the dirtiest water imaginable. Detective Don Bray started talking to his friend, juvenile police officer, Jerry Driver. So do you guys remember Jerry Driver from the uh, movie or the other stuff? Oh, Jerry Driver. Can I get the sillies out real quick? Is this a police officer who specializes in juveniles? Or is it actually a, like a kid police officer, <laughs> like a Doogie Hauser situation? It's like, cop, it's like cop and a half. Kid cop. It's like... Marlon Wayans, head detective. Yeah. <laughs> or David, as Damon Wayans. Wayans. Oh my yeah. God, I forgot all about cop and a half. I hate to run. All right, sorry. You know, we can't go so long without getting nice warm stupid milk humor before out. I go to bed. Yeah. So let's focus on the serious stuff again. So, Jerry Driver was this guy that uh, kind of had a lot of these thoughts about cults and stuff, and he was kind of a expert in, in his area of cults because he was researching it so much. He, he truly believed that there were satanic cults throughout the United States at this okay, time. Okay, he wasn't the old man expert with no. the online degree. This was the, the cop. Mail-order mail degree, okay. This is the cop that uh, kind of brought that guy in, all right? Okay. Um, he was keeping a list of kids. He was the guy that had the list that they were asking about, right? He was keeping a list of kids that had been in trouble and could be suspects for satanism. Okay, and he kind of list right here. Any kind of crimes that involve Satanism. He had eight names on that list so far in this area. Damien Nichols, Jesse Muskelly, and Jason Baldwin were three of the top names. It also included Damien's girlfriend at the time. I can't seem to remember her name, and I didn't put it in my notes. But she I had think a weird it was name. Jennifer. No, it was you a really just weird. Pulled name. out the most basic white girl name. <laughs> no, I swear I thought it said I thought like I saw Jennifer pop up Jenny. on the screen at one point. Maybe we'll not. Put, we'll, we'll, she doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm just thinking of Jenny because she's another famous Southerner. Jenny. Forrest Gump from Arkansas. Mm. Mississippi. Mississippi. My S S I S S I P P I. No, Go he ahead. was from <laughs> Greenbow, Alabama. Oh, that's Alabama. right, because he played Damn, Alabama boys. football. Yeah. It's you shit about you're not supposed to say the S's. You're supposed to say hey, cricket letter, cricket here letter. He goes. <laughs> to be fair, Forrest Gump went all over the world. So. It's like, what you mean we don't know shit about movies? Forrest Gump is a true American hero. Because we're just casuals, Trent. It's true. I'll admit right. to being a casual. I have no shame. So... So he had these eight names on the list. He had Damien's girlfriend, but she'd never been in trouble. So she was just guilty by association with Damien. 
Uh, Jerry Driver was a douche. I'm just going to put was, that out there right that was away. His pregnant girlfriend, right? His pregnant girlfriend, yeah. yeah. Uh, during the satanic panic heyday, people would go across the country claiming that they were experts and they got paid to do speeches about cult activity in law enforcement, in universities, everything. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, true story, I actually went to one of those to see what it was like. Because this was going so hardcore now. I was at IUS in 1992. So what, how old were you guys in 92? Seven. Um, six. Three. Four, three. Seven, six. So I was in college. Wow. And we had to, in my psych class, wow. one of the psych classes I took, they were like, you need to uh, go to these different things and you got points for it, but you had to do at least like two or three of them per semester. And they were like speeches or symposiums either at IUS, University of Louisville, places like that. And you basically, it was part of your assignments. So I picked this one. It was an occult thing. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, man. Rock on. Horns up. He so, looked like freaking Jonah Hill from 21 Jump Street. Yeah. <laughs> got the like bangs and the eyeliner. Nah, he's probably looking straight up like Damien. No, not at the time. I had short hair at the time. So, anyway, I went to one of these, and what's interesting about it, it was the same shit that we're talking about here. I'm not even joking. Uh, this woman talked about repressed memories. She apparently, she was a police officer, and she apparently, when she was young, she said she had a hyp uh, hypnosis to where it showed that when she was young, she was like, in this cult that they abused her and raped her and did all these satanic things with her through hypnotherapy. So it's yet again, one of those things where it's like a bunch of bullshit that people are getting in trouble over repressed dreams and repressed memories. Right. Which we all know has been proven to be a bunch of bullshit. So, you know, this is, this is like stuff that went on a lot when I was young. I remember going to the skating rink or uh, the pool hall when I was young in my hometown, or the arcade, and there being rumors of Satanists out in the woods in different counties. Like supposedly there was one over in Scott County, and one in over near Salem in Washington County, one in Jackson County near Brownstown. So it was like they always had these stories about Satanists in woods. Isn't that uh, is it the Witch's Castle that's local around here where the yeah. Famous that's not, case went down. That's not local. It's uh down in Utica, which is close to Jeffersonville. Oh, okay. So that's down there. But yeah, that's another story. So, you know, we used to have stories about like these black vans that would pull up, all black vans full of Satanists that would steal children off the streets and take them out and sacrifice them. So everybody was like scared anytime a van would come into town. Mm -hmm. My it's dad. Like Will and old school pulling up in the black van, trying <laughs> with the yeah. stocking over his face. So it's, I mean, the satanic panic heyday actually was just one of those things to where people would try to scare each other, I think, and then some people literally took it way too far and serious. Now, a lot of people say that that count comes from not only the Charles Manson murders, but especially the early 80s when uh, Richard Ramirez was on trial and he was scary as shit and scared the hell out of everybody. So the satanic panic type people in politics and everything just really set off after Richard Ramirez and his little pentagram on his hand and all that shit in yeah. court. Like he just played that up and everybody got scared to death. You know, I mean, they'd already heard of Anton LaVey and 
uh, Aleister Crowley, which comes later on in this story, you know, but Richard Ramirez kind of set that off. Are you right? talking about Mr. Crowley? Mr. Crowley. Hello, boys. Mm-hmm. It's a different Crowley. It's, a different Crowley. <laughs> it's the same the Crowley. What the next line? went on in your head? Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. I love that song. All right, so driver and fellow officer. This is the officer we see in the movie talking to that woman. Steve Jones were so into thinking this satanic panic shit, they would drive around on their off time looking to catch Satanists in the act around West Memphis and Memphis. Is that Tennessee. a goat over there? <laughs> I was going to say, what exactly do they think they were going to see? I don't know. Found you. Black t-shirt, know. 3 o'clock. <laughs> it sounds funny, but that's, that's literally what they... Do it yeah, court. but that's what I'm saying. Like, if you're the driving around thing. town and it's like, that guy over there, you're not going to... Predominantly, this is done in the woods or, yeah. like, in an abandoned, like, shack mm-hmm. out in the woods. Of course. It has to be out now, in the woods. Right. If I have to shack. say, I looked up statistics, and the FBI and the CIA and all law enforcement agencies have come out with there's no actual satanic cultist-type stuff, occultist-type stuff going on in any state and when stuff like that happens like animal sacrifice or anything like that it's usually like played up for scare tactics and it's not real okay so there have really been no cases of it as far as they're concerned but people still today think that that shit goes on all the time now i think there are cults but that's not occult cults uh the animal sacrifices like Vikings did that shit too, but nobody thought they were devil worshippers, and that was way before any of this. Vikings and animal sacrifices, or they hard yeah. to, to eat. Mm-hmm. They did, but what? we're talking modern day, though. I mean, I know Aztecs I'm just saying, did like, animal sacrifices and human sacrifices. But. All I'm saying is that this kind of stuff existed way before then, and the people who did it before them were not Satan worshippers. Well, they didn't know what Satan was. I was going to say it's probably it was probably normal back then, right? Yeah. Possibly. I mean, the Old Testament, they sacrificed animals all the time to God. So, I think every town, like small town especially, has a has that old kind of ghost story, like cult story. Like I remember when I was like I was a teenager, and somebody once told me that they heard like downtown the hillside inn, like in those woods back there, like leading up into the hills, that they they heard two different stories they heard that there was uh like a sacrificial cult that was out there somewhere or there was like some sort of like kkk cult of some sort out there like either way you you guys trying to go and nobody in the group said anything i was like are you asking us if we want to go out into the woods and find a cult and like (laughs) see if there's like sacrifices being made and this person was like yeah, I was like, absolutely fucking not. Why would I want to do that? <laughs> we went one time, like, uh, I probably over near... <laughs> we went over in Washington asked, County. Man. There was a place supposedly called Devil's Dome out in the woods, and we were we were supposed to try to find it. We literally w- walked or, or drove around forever, probably drinking, country yeah. cruising yeah. as teenagers, and uh, that's pretty much we thought it would be a good time, but it was Trent, probably why, sucky. Why'd you laugh when he said Devil's Dome? <laughs> I don't know. Devil's I just it's a dome. funny name. Is it literally that's what people Devil's called it? Dome. I never that was saw like it. Like a sexual innuendo. He's like, "Hey, baby, have we drive in the middle of nowhere and you give me the Devil's Dome?" <laughs> <laughs> Do 
Drink this gym meme. I don't even know what that would be, but it's just. <laughs> yeah, you do. She's a bald lady giving you head. First you get the some. Devil's dome. First you get some devil's dome, then you get some Satan's tail. All while smoking the devil's lettuce. <laughs> See, man, you, getting it. you got this. Yeah, you know, you know how yeah. it be. All right, here we, we go. Thought you were. Gitchell's gonna come Gitchell in a minute if we don't he stop is. talking. He's gonna come bust this door down. Or James Lipton. Okay, so the uh, West Memphis Three. That's these. Uh, I'm going to describe them first because I described the the other people. Jesse Muskelly Jr. was a 17 year old high school dropout. He's from a poor upbringing and lived in a trailer park close to Damian Eccles and James or Jason Baldwin. He wasn't friends with the two, but knew Jason enough to say hi when he saw him. He thought that Damian was weird, and quite frankly, he said Damian scared the crap out of him. <laughs> Excuse me. Jesse was doing roofing jobs for money and just hanging around town at this time. Now, here's where it gets interesting. He had a reported IQ of around 70 to 72. And he never had above a third grade level in his, not education, but in his thinking. Which is borderline mental retardation. Yes. It's very, very slow. Uh, the dad and stepmother would often say in interviews that he was very, very slow. And if you ever saw his dad on those interviews, his dad's pretty slow. <laughs> Correct? Yeah, very much so. Uh, but they also said he was a good person and that he had separation anxiety for years with them. He didn't want to be out of their sight. He was scared to be around other people and wanted to be around them at all times. He made it to Jerry Driver's list because he stole some flags from his school which put him into the juvenile system. Now, these flags were, he was into NASCAR and, and professional wrestling, and apparently he was wanting to use these flags to paint and make, like, little NASCAR symbols on them and some professional wrestling stuff. He was definitely more of a backyard wrestler type fan. I <laughs> yeah, bet you. probably. Nah, man. He was a fan of the brood. He probably the went brood. around to the local regional, which that's actually his alibi for that night. He said he was at a wrestling event. Yeah. Right? Mm. Uh, so... You know, Driver said that he suspected Jesse because he had spiky, crazy hair. (laughs) So that's why he got put on his list. He had had little lines cut in his hair and spiky, crazy hair. Yeah, that's a Satanist. You want to talk about the worst pictures they could have used for all three of those boys for their? Oh, I know. For what? For like their mug shots. Uh, So Jason Baldwin. He was a 15-year-old, very poor, lived in the same trailer park area. He also had a skill for drawing. So that's one thing. He was still in high school. Most of his teachers yeah, thought he was a good kid. Drawing blood from stuff. the innocent. My God. Wow. I'm just going to move on <laughs> from that. He did do that. Did he was <laughs> pretty much, as far as we know. Nah. Apparently we know we Wells' know. stance on this case. I know, yeah, right? he, he just doesn't even have to wait to what he thinks about this case. Guilty. Well, hold on for a second. <laughs> I like that he was saying, like, oh, this cops is jumping to conclusions over there anyway. Guilty. Yeah. <laughs> he did it. So he was in the juvenile system for breaking some car windows. Uh, he got in the driver's right. <laughs> into driver's list by having long hair and wearing band shirts like Metallica and U2 is literally what that guy's notes said. Yeah, I love that when they were naming their favorite bands, they were like Pantera, Slayer, Metallica, U2. And I was like, U2? <laughs> Speaking of the Metallica, fuck did that get on the list? they probably have no name, the baby. coolest soundtrack for a documentary ever. Metallica, Slayer, Hall of Notes, all the greats. 
air supply. Yeah, you know. <laughs> All right. So he was also friends with Damien Eccles. That was actually his best friend. Steve Jones was his probation probation officer and was always confronting Jason about being in a cult with Damien. So this Steve Jones had a hard on for the cult shit. So he he was always confronting them about cult shit. Uh, during the trial, they talked about their attire and how many band shirts they had. So that was kind of ridiculous. Damien Eccles was an 18-year-old boy from a poor background as well. He was probably one of the poorest of the three, and he lived in a two-bedroom trailer with five people. So two bedrooms, five people living there. He wore all black at the time. He was purposely different. And he basically admitted in the documentary and in statements that he was different to the effect of pushing people away. And that gave him a little bit of power and control over them. Okay. So you guys have all been to high school. You know that same exact exact kind of kid. Tries to act different, maybe a little tough, maybe a little weird, mm-hmm. just to push people away to get, get them to be scared of him so he doesn't have to deal with them. Maybe he likes the power of scaring them, whatever. You know, it's a game to him at some point. But we all know that type of kid, mm-hmm. right? So, he also they had... Don't we, Wells? Yeah, I actually liked those type of kids when I was in high school. I did, too. Ha! I knew it. <laughs> Satan! Satanist! <laughs> Witch! Witch! So, he also had tattoos and jet black hair, um... He liked reading about and talking about Wicca, the Wicca religion. He absolutely he talked about Aleister Crowley often, which is weird in the trial. He acted like he didn't know who Aleister Crowley was. So he actually talked about Wicca, Wicca a lot um, to people, the Wicca religion, and Aleister Crowley a little bit. He had some books on him. Um, and then, you know, like that kind of got him in trouble during the trial a little bit because... He's a smartass. You can tell he's a smartass. He's an 18-year-old smartass. 18-year-old smartass. Just stereotypical, doesn't give a fuck, thinks the world revolves around him a little bit, and he kind of thinks he can't, you know, I mean, we have a lot of confidence at at the late teenage years, I think. Well, and you got to realize, if you didn't watch part two, he says, I just kind of... I just kind of rolled with it and said whatever I wanted because I never had it in my mind that this was a reality. In my mind, I knew I was innocent, so why couldn't I just say what I want because they were never going to convict me of anything anyway. They had no proof. And then, he, like you said, he hurts him, shoots himself in the foot by doing that because he makes himself look more guilty. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I, I get that aspect of it. But at the same time, he was still... I thought he was retorting very well to the questions he was asked. Yeah. Like, oh, well, you have this book. It has a pentagram. You practice Wicca. Yeah, I believe in Wicca. Well, that's devil worshiping. No, my version of Wicca believes in spirituality and the earth and you get what you give. And and, uh, didn't he at one point said, like, if if you do something positive you get positive feedback come back to you but if you get negative if you do something negative it comes back to you negative yeah that's why we believe in in spirituality and we believe that you have to do good to be able to live good essentially yeah so he says whoever actually did this crime it's something's going to happen to them at some point in their life mm. karma like yeah 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 
But he did himself no favors by some of the other stuff he said about Aleister Crowley. And like, like, yeah, like, oh, I have nothing to do with, like, I don't care for And then they have the journal where he writes down everybody's name, including Aleister Crowley. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that, it's just kind of weird. So he got in the system. The juvenile system is how, like, a driver got a hold of him in his little journal, his list. Uh, he got in some trouble after a breakup when he threatened his ex-girlfriend and her new boyfriend. Apparently, they got in a fist fight. He also ran away with a girlfriend. They broke into... They, they didn't have a, a way to get away, so they ran literally away. He broke into an abandoned trailer, and the girlfriend's mother called the police, and the cops found them in the trailer getting it on or making out or whatever. Uh, he was charged with burglary and sexual misconduct, but she had no charges against her. <laughs> Jerry Driver was now involved because he was his uh, probation dude and searched Damien's trailer. Probably illegally. They, we don't really know how he got in there and started searching in his trailer after he was, you know, the courts got him in. Uh, but because the girlfriend's parents told him that Damien was trying to get her into black magic in this probably illegal search. He found those drawings you were talking about and the pad of paper that said the Book of Shadows on it with the up upside-down crosses around a pentagram. Inside it, it had a bunch of his poetries and thoughts and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, it had stuff from Shakespeare, they mentioned. Mm. You know, it had stuff from Stephen King, which, oh, Stephen King, you know. Well, I like when the prosecutor was like, oh, yeah, what's this from? He's like, that's a quote from... Uh, William Shakespeare. I thought, yeah, yeah. Everybody knows yeah. how diabolical William Shakespeare yeah. was. Too. Yeah, he had a bunch of uh, quotes from favorite songs and books. He said, yeah. So, There's but he also they too. also found books about Aleister Crowley and Anton no, Lavey in there, and that's where they they were talking about the Aleister Crowley and Lavey books. He said he bought them at that library for ten cents a piece, mm -hmm. and they were like, oh, it's all marked up in margins. And he was like, somebody did that before I bought it. And, you know, they probably were doing a report. Which is believable. Which is very believable. If you buy a secondhand book yeah. for 10 cents on a cart outside. But right? when you yeah. already have a fervor <laughs> of a crowd outside the courtroom saying, you know, this is a satanic thing. All the cops have been saying, like, everybody's already been tainted, I think. So, <clears throat> tainted love. Down, down. <laughs> It all started from Jerry Driver and Steve Jones, though. This whole fucking Sons mess started from those two assholes running around playing cops and robbers, even though they were cops, <laughs> trying to figure out the robbers satanic of freedom. Robbers. robbers of freedom. They trying had to find badges. The were they really cops, though? Bullshit. Smells like fish. I mean, think about this right now. Me and, me and Wells, maybe Wells, because he's got black on, if they saw whoa, us, whoa, whoa, what? <laughs> I thought he was gonna say I got black in me. I was like, he's got black, black in me. Right no, Wells would probably get in trouble because of the pentagram. Uh huh. True. You get in trouble because of the pentagram. That's why you, you want me to change it, don't you? All I'm black. All black. Yeah. I would get in trouble because I've got long hair and tattoos. You hippie. We're a cult. Right? We're a cult. Yeah. We're all We're together a cult too. Now. It's it crazy. My, anyway, and most of us listen to Metallica. My black hoodie is the only thing that would work against me. Yeah. That's it. Nothing else. <laughs> That's That's it. Black <laughs> so Jerry Driver and Steve Jones truly believe that Damien and others were satanic or into black magic. Damien smarted off to them when they were ever, ever around him because people would harass him about this stuff. Damien even apparently said a lot of stuff about sacrificing his own baby. If he has one to Satan. So 
he literally, you know how they talked about it in the trial and it kind of seemed fake in the movie. He literally said some of that shit. Okay. But he's a smart ass. I and was going to say, like, people's balls. he's 17, 18 at the time he probably says this. I mean, I remember people telling grosser than gross jokes. You remember those? Like, about babies and stuff? Like, mm. just gross jokes that were offensive? Teenagers do shit like that. They're just stupid. Yeah. You know? He probably didn't think anything about any of this stuff. And you could even tell in the trial at the very beginning and what he says later in the documentary in part two and three, mm. he realized he fucked up on yeah. trial. He realized he was saying shit that he should have never said. Remember when he was holding his kid in the first part? And they're like, oh, what do you think his first words are going to be? And he's all like, oh, capital murder. Yeah. Bro. Oh, by the way, we'll talk about that later. That's a setup, (laughs) by the way. The uh, documentarian set that whole shit up for him to hold his baby in front of everybody. That was a setup for the cameras. That's a bunch of shit, by the way. Anyway, let's move on. Um, Dun, dun, dun. You hear that, Trent? It's a setup. It's a sting. The man's got him. Trying to get him down. It's a ruse, I tell you. Ruse. So he was then taken to a hospital at one point in time when he was young. They talk about this. He was treated for depression with counseling and drugs. All right? Uh, I guess it was pretty serious because he threatened to kill his parents or cut his parents. Threatened himself. So at this point, he actually had some problems, some mental problems, um, and he did admit that he was on some different medications and stuff. He told told those officers that in that one scene. Uh, he was even harassed by driver when he and his mom moved to Oregon because they moved out of this area for a while uh, by telling the local authorities in Oregon that uh, he was into all this stuff, that he was into the into the cults and, and stuff like that, you know? So they, he was warning those people about him. Well, then he got into it with his parents. His parents said they had enough. He ended up coming back. And I guess he was like saying stuff to that girl, uh, I guess by phone or whatever. He was contacting her and probably her parents contacted the police, but driver was waiting on him when he come back to West Memphis at the bus station. Okay. And arrested him because he had broken his probation by calling her and harassing her, saying stuff to her, is what the parents were saying. So they arrested him immediately off that. A few days after the murder, Steve Jones started asking Damien questions. So he was already on their radar, is what I'm saying, pretty heavily, right? Uh, they started asking questions. Two days later, police stopped by Jason Baldwin's house, and this is in the movie and in the documentary it talks about it. Uh, when Damien was there, they started asking questions to them without parents, without lawyers. They didn't even ask them if they needed any of that stuff. And obviously, these kids didn't know they needed it, right? Mm-hmm. Once again, Damien said that he he really didn't know this was that serious. And you saw in that scene, he was a smart ass, right? Oh, yeah. He was a big smart ass in that scene. Um, and they were setting him up, I think. Um but they started questioning without all that stuff. And, of course, he started saying some stupid shit. Uh, he said that people probably did it because it made them happy and they got a thrill out of it. Mm. It's probably a thrill kill. Uh, he said the penis was probably cut because it was a symbol of power. And he also said that it was funny that the killer hadn't... They didn't put this in it. The, he thought it was funny that the killer hadn't been caught and he didn't care if they ever were caught. 
dumb, yeah. dumb, dumb. Yeah, a lot of what he was saying was dumb and like just not something a normal person would say. But yeah. he wasn't completely wrong though. Like somebody doing a crime like that, they probably weren't forced to do it, and there's a good chance that they probably took their time and enjoyed what they were doing. Yeah, but that when they even asked him, like, why would you say that he enjoyed it? He's like. I would imagine they wouldn't have done it if they didn't enjoy it. Why would you say that? He's just like, I'm just using, like, how would you know that? He's like, I'm just, I thought I was just using common sense. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, the smart-ass, the sassy jabs he was taking and everything, he's 18. Here's what's funny about it, though. We're saying it's common sense. He said it's common sense. Fucking Barney Five doesn't know it's common sense. Because Barney the Five didn't in have town, common sense himself. Apparently. But the people in the fucking town doesn't have common sense. Yeah. The right. Miss Kellys didn't have common sense. I mean, these they people... They couldn't help it, though. Miss Kellys couldn't help it. Especially Jesse. He couldn't help not having common sense. I just think half of them were slow in the whole area. Yeah. I don't think any of them had an IQ, either. hardly. Like, to be honest. like. Well, then if you break it down, Mark uh, Byers. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Brain tumor. You find out later. Brain tumor. I'm no expert, but that man definitely has some sort of bipolar or split personality disorder. I talk about that later. Like, I don't mention all the medicines, but he was on a lot of medication at he the was. time. Yeah, he even says that. Yeah. And he's... It was like 12 different things, he, I think, at There's a point. few different, like, scenes that you're probably going to go over, and I'll touch on it when you get to it, but that he's one person, then all of a sudden, boom, he just switches, and he's a completely different guy. I'm like, whoa, that was fucking quick. Where, what happened here? Yeah. And then he gets called out on it at one point. So um, back to like what you're talking about now, though. Like when um, Damien was on trial, I think he's up there. Like we've all been saying, he's just spouting off in the mouth, just saying how he feels, just having that 18 year old like smart ass like kind of you know demeanor about him. Thinking that doesn't really matter. They can't do anything to me. They have no yeah. proof. I didn't do anything wrong. They can't find me guilty. There's no there's no evidence that I did anything. They don't even know where the fuck the crime scene was. And he was thinking like a normal person would that yeah, has a little uh, bit of intelligence. Yeah, I can say what well, I want. I was going to say, like, he, he was, was smart. He was being a smartass a lot, but I also felt like a lot of there was a lot of truth behind what he was saying. Yeah. Like, I actually felt for him when they were asking him, like, if you're not a Satan worshiper, why do you dress the way you do? And he's like, because I knew that people would think it was weird and people would leave me alone. Yeah, that's right. what I said. Like, it was a power thing to him to keep people, you know, at arm's length. Well, that's kind yeah. of so a social anxiety thing, him. too. Yeah. Like you can clearly tell he has some sort of social anxiety, especially like... I mean, he grew up dirt poor, do. too. We yeah, don't well, forget that. True. He was dirt poor. You know those kids probably got made fun of in that school. Mm. All right, so uh, Damien, of course, said all this stupid shit. He actually started talking about uh, some other stuff, too. And he said that the penis was cut probably to be a symbol of power. Um, like you said, he said that the people probably, it probably made them happy. He also said that it's funny that they haven't been caught. He also started talking again about occult stuff and Anton LaVey when they asked him questions. Uh, they also noticed the word evil written in permanent marker across their knuckles, which I find really funny that they would give a shit that much about it but you got to remember this is 1993 yeah. coming on the hills of all the satanic panic from the 80s i mean mm -hmm. you got to look ozzy osbourne went to court 
And I think Judas Priest went to court for people committing suicide to supposedly their songs and had to go to court over that shit. You had his sister as well had to you, go to court over. People. Yeah, and you had like the PMRC, which is the uh, Tipper Core Tipper Gore. Mm-hmm. Uh, her her whole group, what's his name? Al, Al Gore. Al Gore. Yeah. Al Gore's wife. So she head up that PMRC shit to where they were like trying to say all metal music was satanic and stuff, and they wanted to get it banned. And then they came up with the labeling system and all that shit. Mm-hmm. So you know, and you were talking about. I actually have a picture right over there to where he oh, is actually picture. He's actually in court talking about it. He signed that for me. And nice. D. Schneider's a fucking badass dude. I follow him on all socials and everything. He says some really cool stuff. He's highly intelligent. Very intelligent dude. And I think that shocked him. That shocked Congress did, yeah. when he did that. But I mean, you're coming off the hills of that and you're still in Midwestern, you know, Arkansas. They still believe in all that shit. It's just it's funny how they people misinterpret song lyrics. Yeah. And it even happens in today's society where you hear a song and then you're like, oh, it must mean this. And the artist will come out and be like, not at all what I was saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not even a little bit. Corey Mittler is currently sitting in prison pretty much based off of nothing but his song lyrics. Literally was used in the trial. Yeah. yeah which had nothing to do with the initial case. It was just like, we don't have any evidence, but we're going to say this. And when they asked, like, when his defense asked, how could this be, why does this matter? Why is, like, him being a rapper from the South, explaining his experiences and putting them on paper, how could you hold him liable for this? And their literal def- uh, uh, excuse was, it speaks to his, it's a, it's a character thing. It speaks yeah. to his character. So if he thinks this way, writes it down, then says it out loud, then he believes all this stuff. Yeah. Well, not only that, but there's been, like, instances where... The DA has thrown out eyewitness testimonies, and they're even on record of saying, we've got the man we want, Hmm. even though there's other evidence out there. Well, there's plenty of cases of this, you know. Unfortunately. Now, Steve Steve Jones, the cop, had told Damien earlier, like not that same day, but before, he told him some of the... Some of the details of the case. Now, this is the thing we start noticing with this case. The cops telling little details that they shouldn't tell to anybody and then coming back and trying to catch people on those details or leading them into coercion, right? Uh, so he told him one of the details was, uh, and and Damien spoke up, or brought it back up, saying supposedly urine was in the kids' stomachs. And that was one of the initial things they thought had happened is they had urine somebody's urine in their stomachs like they'd done something to them molested them or something and impede in their mouths or something i don't know whatever but that was proof enough that's all they needed they'd heard all this shit and that's proof enough hey this dude knows something he knows something so you know that was something they thought only the killer knew steve jones had just forgot that he'd told him the day before so this immediately made them the prime suspects. So that whole thing, that whole scene where they're illegally basically interrogating them without parents' permission, a 15-year-old, and the other one was 18, so he, he could have been on his own. But a 15-year-old, you can't do that, right? Just like the making a murderer kid, too. Just like it. So 
after that, they polygraphed a woman named Narlene Hollinsworth that said she had seen Damien and his girlfriend walking around at 1030 at night on the night of the murders with mud on them. This polygraph test was lost. They <laughs> lose a lot of shit. They do lose a lot of shit. But a report shows that Narlene was telling the truth, according to the cops. There's uh, no proof of that, though, right? They've no got proof. they don't have the paper saying that. No, they don't have it. they don't take have my the, word for it. This is true for sure, for sure. Uh, Damien willingly gave hair and blood samples along with a polygraph test. <laughs> so here's a little here's a little thing out there for you, kiddos. If you're listening, anybody that's listening out there, you don't have to say shit to cops. You don't have to talk to cops. They can ask you shit, and you don't have to say anything. You could even spit in their face. Don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Plead the fifth. But you don't have to say anything. And you could immediately say, I want my parents here. And if they aren't going to charge you with anything, they can't keep you there for anything. If they have you on speeding, something like that, they can write you a ticket. But you don't have to answer anything for them. You remember that, Trent. If you get pulled over... Ask well, for your mother. Trent's everybody get us, has rights. Trent's going to get us sued when some kid spits in a cop's face and he's like, oh, I heard Trent say it on the Who Are You Know podcast. I can't like, prove it. That I could spit in the kid's face. I get I mistaken would. for Ian a lot on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> he really does. I mean, I think sometimes people know their rights better than cops sometimes. I think cops have a, a, an idea in their head that, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a cop, so I'm allowed to do this. Not knowing that they, and that's what gets cops in trouble on those videos and shit. Mm-hmm. They don't know they're actually doing illegal shit, and they're going to get fired or arrested. Well, no, well, I think well, it also know. has to do with the fact that they don't think you know. Yeah, that's exactly what that's it a is. big thing. So they're like, if you don't know the law, I tell you something. You think I'm an officer? You're going to do it because I told you to. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, if you say, "Oh, I didn't know I had to do that," it's like, "Well, I didn't know you didn't know that. I asked and you told me." I will say. With the trial, with Damien being up there, did you guys notice that they called the one girl up, the young girl, and they called her up as a witness because they said that she overheard a conversation. Softball game. Yeah, the softball yeah. game. Do you guys remember that? The two yeah. little girls? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're like, yeah. That was bogus. I heard him say it. I heard him say this specific statement, and they were like, oh, okay, so... He said this like, yeah, he definitely said it. Mm. And then they asked like more questions like, okay, so like, who do you say it to? Were you there? I don't know. Well, but how far away were you? I don't know. Okay, but okay, so he was saying it loud. He yelled it. I don't know. (laughs) Wait, what? Yeah, you don't know. You don't know. Apparently, they were. He'd already killed, or he was talking about killing those three, and that he'd already he was going to kill two more before he he had in mind who he was going to. But apparently, that's a true statement because multiple people, including Jason, said that he did say shit like that. And I I understand that. that And I'm not denying that he may have said something like that. They didn't have. They were just taking. If that's your witness, yeah, and they don't know, does that not sound Mm -hmm. like it was rehearsed? Yeah, that statement sounds rehearsed. Everything and about this trial sounds uh, like it was rehearsed. And knowing how Damien had a plan. Depending on who he was talking to in the context of this, the conversation, he could have just been being a smartass. He was Again. always being a smartass. That's yeah. what I'm yeah. saying. I think he did that because he thought it was fucking funny yeah. to say that shit yeah. because he already knew everybody thought he was like evil. So he played up on that character to be a bigger character. You know what I'm saying? Mm. 
I absolutely think he just put his foot in his mouth a lot. Well, and, and he, again, like we said before, if he does that shit and people are like, God, he's fucking weird. I got to stay away from him. He doesn't have to talk to people. No. Exactly. He gets what he wants. All right. So, him alone. so he, for some reason, once he gave this polygraph, once again, there wasn't a record of it. Once again, the polygraph guy didn't keep a record of it. Put that polygraph next to that blood sample. But he does remember that Damien was being deceptive. That's what he remembers. Of course, if it's his narrative. Yeah, it's ridiculous. All right, so now we're at the uh, Vicky and Aaron Hutchinson story in Link, and this is what really got the ball rolling and got them all in trouble. Like that, this got them on the cops' radar big time for the satanic cult shit. During this time, and unrelated to the missing kids, Detective Don Bray had a scheduled interview with Vicki Hutchinson. She, she worked, was the redhead woman, right? In the movie. In the movie, right. yeah. She worked at a truck stop across the woods and was suspected of a $200 credit fraud issue that happened at the truck stop. So apparently she you know, was probably ripping off that company for money. You know, another poor person. Go figure. On May 6, 1993, before the victims were found later that same day, Hutchinson took a polygraph exam given by Detective Don Bray at the Marion Police Department. Hutchinson's young son, Aaron, was also there. She probably brought him in, what wasn't proven, probably brought him in as a distraction. So Bray wasn't able to administer the polygraph because he was such a distraction. So he didn't even give her the polygraph, right? Uh, Bray heard Vicky say that two of the missing boys had asked to play with her son in the woods on the day of their disappearance. She said no, no, because she didn't want him in that area. Bray jumped at the chance, now having confirmation that they were going into the woods. Bray was going to call in this information, but at that time, searchers had just found the missing dead boys in Robin Hood Hills. All right, so we're kind of going back and forth in the story, but I'm showing you other context as we go, mm. right? So, Bray got off the phone and started to mine for information on the case and not the fraud case that she was there for. So, immediately started mining for information from this little boy and this woman about, you know, Satanism and Damien Eccles. Aaron's first statement to the West Memphis police on May 10th was full of vivid description that had little to do with reality. He said a black man, so they brought him back in to talk to him, he said a black man with yellow teeth driving a maroon car had stopped to tell Michael that Michael's mother had sent him to pick up Michael and then Michael and that Michael should ride off with him. Uh, Michael actually just took off. The Moore backyard literally backed up the main to the main entrance at Weaver Elementary. No one actually picked Michael up or would have a reason to pick him up. He walked home that day as always, according to his mother. So she was already the mother when they asked her to confirm any of this. She already said that that was a lie, that that little kid didn't, you know, that that was an unfalse story. So then Aaron also said he, Michael, and Chris had a clubhouse that they built in the Robin Hood area and that sometimes we would watch these men. They were um, doing nasty stuff. They do what men and women do. Going on to say that five men gave each other oral sex while the boys watched from a hiding place. Now, there's no evidence of there ever being an actual clubhouse in the woods. Uh, he said all but one of the men wore black T-shirts with one wearing a white T-shirt and having long hair. They all carried big knives. He described them smoking rolled-up cigarettes that stunk. 
<laughs> Black t-shirts, long hair. It stunk. <laughs> Damn hippies. Rolled up cigarettes that Wait stunk. Wait a minute. <laughs> and said they painted their faces black. Little boys. There was a <laughs> There was a skull commander. He had on a necklace and there was a snake in its eye. The necklace was a pendant similar to the pendant or earring that Eccles lost at Hutchinson's home at some other time. What kind of skull was it? Does it, say? it he was making it up. So it was like a, he called it the skull commander. Oh. There's a whole, if you look this up, there's a whole interview of this kid and you could read the transcript. Like all the transcripts for any of these interviews are online and they're, they're quite comical to read. I was just wondering if maybe it was like a cattle skull like we have on these shots that we have to take here. By screen oh on. my gosh. Are you want to take a shot? Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> right in the middle of the story. You don't know how long I was waiting to transition into this. I had to wait for the right moment. Skull. Wait a minute. <laughs> I was like, is this the right moment? We're talking about the little boy's testimony. All right. What do we have in here? This is a screwball. Peanut butter whiskey shot. You're a screwball. Thank you. Are we shooting this whole thing? Yeah. I don't like peanut butter whiskey. Why am I you doing You like this? it tonight. No. What about Tennessee whiskey? Trent, you've definitely drank much worse on this podcast. And I've not true. liked it. <laughs> Frog ass. Yeah. Frog ass. All I right. still smell your breath over here. To finish in the rest of this tonight. Here we go. That's right. The screwball or the episode? I'm talking about the episode. <laughs> That's more than a shot. You want some jelly whiskey now to go down with it? Oh, oh that would have been good with a banana pudding. <laughs> a little peanut butter and banana, dude, like an Elvis <laughs> shot. Am I the only one that shot the whole damn thing? <laughs> yeah, you are. Yeah. Trent didn't even take a shot at all. I'm saving mine for the next <laughs> part of the episode that we're going to talk about. Well, I'll be good at goddamn that nobody <laughs> fucking warned me that you were doing that. I literally said, are we shooting this whole thing? And everybody was like, yeah. You probably have half of his. Apparently, he's not going to do it. He just opened it for no and reason. You got to watch out, man. We'll get you. Yeah. You're going to get you. To your point, there is like, what is it? There's a shot of some sort that's like raspberry. And I've had it with this, and it makes peanut butter jelly shots. Yeah. Oh. It's delicious. And they're good. I just, I, 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 think I was, you can just how do I transition back into moving on to this exact juice? story? <laughs> well, I was like drinking mine and I couldn't help but notice out of the corner of my eye, I look over and everybody's just sitting here like this. I was like, everybody drank that already? And, and I look over <laughs> and you still have half. You still have half. Maybe. You're sitting over there. <laughs> if I start drinking something and it takes like three gulps into my mouth, that's one shot. <laughs> Main face over there. I was like, spit mine out. <laughs> well, what do you do? What'd you do? He just, you could tell he was not enjoying as it. As soon as I got it in my mouth, I was like, peanut butter? It didn't taste as bad as I thought it was going to. That's the thing. I shot this entire thing and just. So, it, oh, you guys didn't all fucking take yours. You actually did it the smart way, though, because you only had to taste it once. Do you think it's that bad? You hate whiskey. Why do you always bring whiskey? I just, it was sitting up there at the counter for, they were 98 cents piece. I've had this, though. Like, I've drank I've had a bottle too. of this before, and I, I like this. I prefer the Hard yeah. Times version. But screwball is good. And I was like, hmm, peanut butter whiskey, that's something different. Let's just try it out. You've had the uh, screwball before. Have I? I bought a shot for me, you, and Ian Thomas. give you the old screwball one night? I guess so. The old screwball. Speaking of screwballs, <laughs> oh. these guys oh, <laughs> wow, sir. were giving each other oral sex oh. while these kids were watching in the in the 
clubhouse, apparently, right? Balls. They had big knives, painted their faces black. We already said that. Had a skull commander. He actually called it the skull commander because the guy that he called skull commander had the skull commander uh, little necklace on. Aaron also said the men used a briefcase, which is a little bit important to the people because later on when they talked to Miss Jesse Miskelly Jr. about the cult meetings, that was another detail that he put in that they were carrying a case. Now, how nice of a case was it? Because I've learned anything from Wells. Apparently, there's such a thing as too nice of a briefcase to use for nefarious reasons. Why are you no, looking at me like that? So what, what I just wanted to hear what you had to say, for? buddy. Don't you remember the episode with the uh, the luggage? And Wells was like, you showed him the picture, yeah. and you were like, damn, oh. that's a nice-ass suitcase. That was the Henry Ford. That's too nice of a suitcase episode. to put a body in, I yeah. think, is, was his exact words. Yeah. You and I were like, wait, what? Was it the Henry? No, it was the uh, true boy crime story. True was crime it? story, yeah. It was the little the boy, boy that they the found in the suitcase. Yeah. It was a terrible, horrible, sad story. That was another bad one. When you said that, I was like, wait a minute. So, <laughs> where are we at? Aaron said the men had been mean to a dog, he, and they asked him what they do to the dog, and they, they were like, he was mean. They kicked it around like where they were beating on it, but they didn't kill it. They caught a cat all of a sudden in his story. So this story's just bouncing around. This is the same interview. The story's bouncing around. They caught a cat, then cut his head off, and then they started eating its body. But they didn't eat, eat the cat head. They, they ate the whole cat but, but his body. And then he was like, and they were cooking it. <laughs> so apparently they now had a fire, and they were cooking the cat and eating it. So Miss Kelly, this kind of went along with Miss Kelly's statement that during his like interviews that they would kill and eat pets. All right. Just the ass, right? Apparently. I don't know. Aaron thought the boys went to watch the men on Wednesday, and he said they got caught. And then they never, uh, then they never told the men, and the men sort of killed them. Sort of, or not never told it. They ran into the men. Is what it's supposed to say. They ran into the men, and the men sort of killed them. That was his quote. So, his whole interview is crazy. This little boy is just obviously making shit up. And old, but of course, old Getcho <laughs> over here was just like, oh, it yeah. wasn't Getcho, it was that Bray guy. Don Bray was over there, just jizzing his pants, couldn't wait to tell just old like, Jerry mm-hmm, Driver mm-hmm, and all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, they were what like, else? Mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, 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 got so, him. So they're all like uh, freaking out over Buck this. Fuck Lou, <laughs> fucking Chief Wiggum over here. I'll tell you the real shit that little boy said is when they asked him, "Well, how do we know you're not telling us the whole story?" And he's like, "I don't know," because even before he answered that, I was thinking that like. How the hell is he supposed to know how you're supposed to know if he's lying or not? He don't know. Well, his statements were inconsistent. He was unable to identify Baldwin, Eccles, or Muskelly from any photos. So they did a photo lineup just to see if he noticed them. That he didn't. He didn't recognize any of them. Uh, of course, there was no playhouse at the location. Aaron indicated when they went to look, and it didn't look like any kind of playhouse was ever there. An officer later leaked portions of Aaron's statements once again, to the press, contributing to the growing belief that the murders were part of a satanic rite. Now, this is when that, in between that month period between they find the bodies and Jesse Miskelly gets in trouble with his fucking interview, right? So this is all happening in that time period. Mm. Because that first time that she was in there was when Mm. 
when uh, they found the bodies. Then days later, they're interviewing this little boy, and that's what you see on the on the documentary, the little boy in the chair and everything. Um, Jesse Miss Kelly was another example of uh, you were talking about earlier how the cops will take advantage of the fact that people don't know their rights. Yeah, like when they were interviewing him, he didn't know that he had the right to just not answer those questions. Oh, I got more on that. It's fucking crazy. More, a lot more on that. Right on. Uh, so, a lot of people think that this is probably a very fabricated story. Obviously, that the little boy was set up by his mother, and it was probably a distraction from her fraud case. Right now, also mind you, the reward got up to about thirty-five thousand mm. dollars. Hand in hand, right there. Right. Right. Uh, around June 1st, 1993, Hutchinson agreed to place hidden mics in her home during an encounter with Eccles. Miss Kelly agreed to introduce Hutchinson to Eccles. During their conversation, Hutchinson reported that Eccles made no incriminating statements. Police said the recording, quote-unquote, was inaudible. But Hutchinson claimed that, you know, she, you could hear everything on the tapes, right? And everything was audible. So she's later on claims that a lot of that was bullshit by the cops. But she goes out and, and buys Wiccan books or rents Wiccan books from the library or whatever and puts them around her house and tries to dress it all up. You know, all that shit was pretty weird in the movie. Yeah. I don't know if it happened exactly like that, but I find it weird that Damien would come over there with Jason when they barely know Jesse. And then when they get over there, she tells Jesse to leave and then they go in for a while. Who knows if they were messing around? Jesse was what? probably like my hot neighbor who wants to meet you. You should probably go over and talk to her. I thought Jesse would want to get some, but she just kind of scooted him along his way. Yeah. Right? Anyway, Hutchinson told the police that about two weeks after the murders were committed, she, Eccles, and Muskelly attended a Wiccan meeting in Terrell, Arkansas. Damien supposedly picked her up in a red Ford Escort, but Damien's family actually did not have a red car, nor did Damien drive anywhere he didn't even have a license he didn't know how to drive I was gonna say he said that they came from like dirt poor backwoods trailer yeah. park so apparently she lied about that plus damien wasn't even friends with jesse so all that shit seems pretty made up hutchinson claimed that at the wiccan meeting a drunken Eccles openly bragged about killing the three boys she said that there were other kids there at the meeting she didn't see their faces or know who they were so she only knew Jason and Damien, and uh, their names were name, nicknames such as Lucifer, Spider, and Snake. How generic! Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what would your what would your nickname be if you were in that cult? Hmm. Clean, clean. clean. <laughs> I was gonna say squeaky clean is what I was gonna say. Clean hell, squeaky clean. The squeaky clean devil. My nickname would be the Black Plague because I bring death everywhere I go. <laughs> oh, is that why? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where we're going with this. <laughs> I was waiting for somebody else to give their nickname. I thought we were all doing it. Oh, that's easy for me. I wouldn't have one because I wouldn't fucking be there. <laughs> <laughs> Not with that attitude, you wouldn't be. <laughs> you damn right I won't. <laughs> So she's, she also stated that the all the people there got naked, so she got a little uncomfortable. She wanted to go home. Damien took her home, even though he was drunk, took her home in that red car that he didn't have. That's right. And Jason stayed there you're at the party. Damien or are you talking about Snake? I think it was Damien. Snake might have been in the back watching. I don't know. Okay. Hutchinson was never charged for the theft 
and fraud. It was never investigated. She claimed she had implicated Eccles and Miskelly to avoid facing criminal charges and to obtain part of that reward for the discovery of the murders. She later recanted her testimony in 2013, claiming her statements were fabricated due in part to coercion from the police to get it going. Mm -hmm. She was scared to death. Yeah. So, after she said all that shit, not the recanning of the story that's later on, but Gary Gary Gitchell shows back up. Gary Gary Gitchell. Gary Gitchell went to Vicky's house to question her and her son. So now he was on to this satanic panic shit. Like he was, you know, he, he, we're getting late in the month. He's not getting back anything from the medical examiner. So he's starting to freak out. Um, so he goes to her house. She tells him, uh, they were in the woods where Satanists would get naked, sing songs to Satan and have sex with each other. Gary was convinced from that point on he's all in guilty. Got anything to say, Trent? Are you just dying to go to sleep right now? No. At this point? I'm listening on the edge of my seat. You look alike. I'm trying to get some <laughs> stuff out of you with a little joke here and there, but it's heavy stuff, man. I don't know who would joke at something like this. Gary Gitchell's not no well, Gary uh, Glitter. Why are you looking over here, man? Gary Glitter. What's that? He said, I don't know who would joke at something like this, and I was like, yes. Why nobody look at me? <laughs> So Gary was convinced at this point the cops had Vicky trick Jesse into staying with her so that he would be there so they could call on him for the questioning the next day. So she called him up. He actually watched her kid every now and then, and that's how she knew him. She said she was afraid, and for some reason, like, so he came over and stayed with her the night. So that way the cops knew exactly where to go get him. Uh, They picked him up. Police told Jesse and his dad that it was a basic interview to see what they knew to help the case. And they kind of dangled that, once again, that $35,000 reward in front of them. These people were dirt poor. They are like, yeah, I'll come in and do an interview. <laughs> Jesse never made it out of the interview room. That motherfucker, 18 <clears throat> years later, <laughs> never made it home from that one interview. They did not. That's a bunch of shit, I think. Anyway. Yeah, it is. So here's the Miss Kelly question part. Do we want to take a break here? We well, to... just no. I'll wait. Just keep Maybe going. Say, say what you were. Well, I'm just going to talk about his whole questioning and everything right now. Do that first, and then take a break. All right. Because I guess then I want to say. So Miss Kelly was first questioned on June 3rd, 1993, a day after Hutchinson's purported confession. Jesse, mind you, had a 72 IQ and didn't have a lawyer present. They gave him a polygraph and then came back in and told him that it, you know, it could tell he was lying about everything. So they actually like faked that the polygraph could read his mind. They knew he was stupid right away, right? I hate to say it like that, but they knew he was ignorant to he facts. He wasn't intelligent enough to put two and two <clears throat> together that the polygraph wasn't a mind reading machine. Exactly, and I'll I'll tell you later on. He did not even understand. Wh- what a lawyer was. He didn't know what a lawyer was. That they even existed. He didn't know what the purpose of a lawyer was. Mm-hmm. He barely, I mean, he knew what cops were, but he thought you were supposed to do what cops wanted you to do. Right. Which leads into this whole bullshit here. Yeah. The moment he started giving like false details, he should have been known as a witness. Yeah. So it confused Jesse because he thought that he was just lying about the smoke and dope part. And so it confused him when they said that, you know, he was lying and uh, everything was wrong. He 
He was then taken to a room and questioned by Gary Gitchell again. Gary Gitchell. Gary ain't going to get you. <laughs> Jesse had heard around town that Damien might have done it. So when asked, he said, probably Damien. So they asked him, who do you think done it? He said, probably Damien. Because it was going around town already. You know, like rumors. Um, Gitchell asked him what the boys were tied up with, which is leading. Uh, and Jesse said a rope, specifically a brown rope. Yep. Gitchell said, no, it was their shoelaces. He then walked him back through the questioning, and upon that question, Jesse then said, shoelaces. So he let him. Oh, so you knew what it was all along. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> shoelaces, yeah. That's, he, right. He That's let, right. He let him do this entire form of questioning, which, ironically, hmm, wasn't being recorded. Yeah. Exactly. Until they wanted it recorded. 45 minutes worth of recording. He was in there for, what, 12 hours? Yeah. Wasn't there something about the cops placing, like, a piece of tape over the lens at one point? I don't remember. Was that the mm-hmm. documentary? I think so. I don't remember. I mean, they did a lot of shady shit. I know that they said that there was no video. One of the lawyers brought that up and said yeah. Yeah. he was in the police station for 12 hours and there's not one one video recording of this entire thing. I can't remember which part it was. Until the I very end. Was... Like, some of it was, like, recorded at the very end. Yeah. yeah. I know it was when definitely was in the documentary. The yeah. Right? Yeah. At one point he says there's uh, no visual because they put a piece of tape over the lens and then there's no audio for some reason at one point. I mean, they never took anything on themselves, so... I mean, that's, that's just the way the cops were. But they really didn't have to. Later on, we'll realize the judge just doesn't give a fuck. Well, yeah, there's that. But the form of questioning, like you said, of being like, oh, well, it was, it was a, what What do you use? It was a rope. You mean a shoelace? Yeah. It was a shoelace. Was a shoelace. Yeah. I figured you knew what it was. <laughs> just- so they coached him on the timeline as well. Jesse said they met that morning when they finally got him to admit, you know, that he was a part of it. They met up that morning, and this is all the uh, cult, cult people plus Damien and Jason, and the killings were done by noon. They said the kids didn't get out until after school, are you mistaken, kind of thing. Right. And he was like, uh, oh, well, they skipped school. And they were like, no, they didn't skip school. They were actually at school all day. Mm-hmm. Um, so then he's like, oh, well, uh, it was about four. It's about four or five. And they still said, you know, well, you know, let's just move on. It's So it's dark outside. So they were leading him again on time of day. They told him it was dark outside. So he finally came to the timeline of 7 to 8. So he went from in the morning and noon. Just picture them go through four. every hour of the day yeah. until finally, aha! Is <laughs> it 3 o'clock? It no. no. It's later Five. than that. No. A little bit later. It's like one of those closer. movies where you... Somebody's very mm. point at something. Yeah. Like, You're getting warmer, buddy. <laughs> it was six, nine, well, that's seven. Aha! Yeah, I knew it was funny you. Part, like, <laughs> you had to have been there. When, when, like you said, he, he at first, Jesse's like, it was about noon. They're like, no, everybody was in school. Well, everybody skipped. No, there are multiple witnesses saying that everybody was in school. They literally do attendance. Oh, okay. Then he says that the murders happen at night. Well, first, Jesse was like, yeah, we went out, it was about 6 o'clock. And they're like, well, no, like you just said, the murders happened at night. He's like, yeah, uh, we all went out there. Me, uh, me, Jason, and Damien all went out there at 6, and the boys didn't get there till 8. What? Yeah. 
It's a joke. This whole thing is fucking crazy. So, he also said that Damien choked the boy to death with a stick. That was the first thing he said when they talked him into talking about how... So, this is hours and hours of him saying, no, I didn't witness killings. Nobody killed anybody. I wasn't part of that. So, now he's just telling them. Now, conveniently, they tricked him into thinking if he told the truth, quote-unquote, he was going to go home. So, you got a low IQ kid that now had to tell their truth to get out of there. Mm-hmm. We've been there for going on 12 hours now. Exactly. We just wanted to go home. So he now was telling them Damien choked the boy to death. Well, there was no choke marks in any of the boys, so that didn't fit the narrative. Mm. So they were like, no, uh, that didn't happen. He also kept saying the brown rope. He had to be cr- corrected twice on that about the shoestrings. Uh, they even drew... A circle with three X's in it. Did you read this or see this on there? Mm. This is in one of my readings. They drew a circle with three X's in there and other X's on the outside. And they pointed out that in the circle is Damon and Jason. And out here's us. Do you want to be in there with them? Or do you want to be out here with us? I think I remember that. If you want to go home, you need to be on the outside with us and tell us the truth. So they were already, like, threatening him, right? Scaring the shit out of this poor boy. Uh, He started making up all kinds of fantastical lies about satanic meetings and sacrificing dogs and all kinds of bullshit. So at this point, he's just making stuff up. They're all, like, (laughs) writing it down, you know, (laughs) thinking this is going to be awesome. Uh, They then start showing him the crime scene photos towards the end, right before they turn this shit on. So this is pre-them, what we see in the Mm -hmm. documentary. This is pre-before that. This is during that 10, 11-hour shit. They start showing him the crime scene photos, which is fucking crazy. Who does that to somebody that's already told them multiple times they had no involvement? You're just going to all of a sudden start showing them photos of these little kids all got up. It's just weird to me. But then they took an edited version of Vicki Hutchinson's son in his <clears throat> interview and just kept the part that said, uh, what happened to me in the background... To get a response. No, nobody knows what happened to me. So that's her son saying it over and over again. Nobody knows what happened to me. And they were playing it through speakers in that room in the background while they were questioning him there at the end. Did you hear that? any of that? Mm. Look that shit up. That is fucked up. That is fucked up. Like subliminal messaging? Like, yeah, like the, he was like the ghost of one of those kids or something. Nobody knew what happened to me in the background either way they're not supposed to be influencing somebody's uh testimony anyways because it's it's you'd think it's all tainted after that that. yeah good cops would do that nothing that these cops did though in this case was normal no so then they turned on the audio recording after being there for 10 plus hours of leading his answer showing the pictures and then the fake ghost recording to get his quote unquote statement at that time they lead him to tell him what they wanted so that they could go home he did that uh he also said that the more boy ran off so he ran him down and brought him back this is his biggest mistake if he would have never made up that part of the story he would have never went to prison he just kept on making up more and more stuff because he thought that's what they wanted. Mm-hmm. And now he put himself in the crime. Well, remember his defense attorney was like, so you showed him the pictures of the crime scene. Like, yeah, he's like, why did y'all do that? Yeah. Why would y'all do that? Yeah. 
Well, even Jason said when they were like asking him, like, if you did, if you're innocent, why were you telling the cops you did all this stuff? He was like, well, after like 13 hours in a investigation room or whatever like that, he's like, you'd say whatever you want to to get out too. Yeah. So uh, he made this mistake. He wasn't going to get out of there and go home at this point. He never went home for the next 18 years. So that's my in my crazy. notes. After that, he never saw the light of day for 18 more years outside of prison. Crazy. Jesse also said that Jason and Damien were screwing them and stuff and was holding them by their ears. So they did have some ear abrasions. This is when you say that, it reminds me of a cartoon. Like, well, you little grabbing yeah. them by the ear. Like so sick so apparently that, that matched up with their narrative. And also, something that happens with dead bodies, it releases fluids a lot. Mm-hmm. So your anus kind of extends. And the M.E. who obviously... No, when you're dead, you. Trent, not me currently right now. Oh. The M.E., uh, that's where he initially said and started saying that they were probably molested or raped, even though there was no real evidence of that besides that right there. And more than likely, that was from them just being dead and their bodies relaxing. relaxing and then yeah. And then rigor mortis set in and it stayed like that. But there was no bruising or anything. No, no bruising, nothing. I mean, yeah, the whole urine in the stomach shit. I mean, I don't understand any of this stuff, like how that got out. But okay, so they did have ear abrasions, so the cops ran with that. He also said that the knife that Damien used was a smooth lockback knife, um, which is interesting because the ME quite clearly told them, and even in court said that the castration was done with a serrated knife. What are the odds? I could be grasping at straws here, but the killer drowns them, right? What if he urinated in the creek and while they were like gasping for air, I mean, they would have found water in their yeah. stomach, I would imagine, right? Cause yeah. trying I think to- at that point, it probably would have been too diluted for them to detect it. No, they can detect blood well, well, thousands also, it of depends, gallons yeah, of water. I was going to say, if they, 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 could, have, they could have found urine. urine. It wasn't just... They don't really, I don't urine. really see much more outside of like just the rumor that there was urine in the stomach. Gotcha. Good so, shit, I'm grasping. Did they ever know. actually find the testicles? So I know at one point, uh, I think it was in the... <laughs> Why is that funny? This is serious. They all both looked at you. Like, <laughs> I was like, "Why is that the question?" Like, yes. what the? Because find the balls. In the documentary, he talks about how there were people were spreading rumors that uh, Damien said they were spreading rumors about him having a jar of testicles under his bed or something like it. Yeah, he's. Which he says in there, he says that's all bullshit. He's like, I don't, even, I don't know how people well, make some of this shit up. Yeah. We get into that later when that one dude that was in prison. It was with a Jason. natural reaction when you said. Did they find the testicles? I was like, what? I was like, that's a horrible thing for y'all to be laughing at. He's over there pulling a jar out. (laughs) Oh, my God. I got this little jar right here. No, uh, we talk about that later with uh, that guy that was the jailhouse snitch, fake-ass dude, the surfer dude. That dude that you could clearly tell was lying. Oh, gosh. His his whole testimony is funny. But anyway. All right. So he also said Byers was kicking when they threw him in the water. We know two things. One is they were hogtied right to left, right to right, left to left. Right. He could have never been kicking because they were. Jesse Muskelly was are. 
I'm sorry. I'm not laughing at that. I laughed at Means' his little like Russian little like he folded <laughs> his arms and did like a little kick with his. <laughs> this is a visual thing. I'm yeah, sorry. That's why, that's why we need to give people visuals so they uh, understand yeah. why we. You can cut that out. Laugh at inappropriate. Am times? I editing all this? Whoever I am, I'll do it. No, I don't. Anyway. <laughs> So he couldn't have been kicking his legs because Jesse Muskelly was thinking that he was like tied up wrist to wrist somehow. So he was thinking kicking his legs. Second thing is he was dead before he entered the water. So he didn't drown. He was the one that didn't drown. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, inconsistencies be damned. The police got an arrest warrant for Damien and Jason that night. They found them in the back room of a trailer while they were watching Leprechaun. No. A little whore you know for this story. Mm. They're watching Leprechaun. Looks like the, brand, the brand new Leprechaun. Or Smells new like me gold. Yeah, it was early 90s. It was probably 92, 93. Yeah, it was definitely early. It was probably a VHS at that time. Probably a, a new release. 94 yeah. to be exact. Was it 94? I don't know. Couldn't have been if this was 93. <laughs> I was just saying. But anyway. <laughs> they got a screener anyway. copy. See what happens when you say things with confidence? People will leave you. <laughs> you you got that. You got that right. Isn't that, isn't that a problem? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Police re- believed. That's what this right. whole trial is about. People saying shit with confidence and people believing exactly. them. Exactly. Oh, bullshit. True. <laughs> Police briefly looked at two West Memphis teenagers. This was in the movie. Uh, Chris Morgan and Brian Holland as suspects. Both had drug offenses. Uh, histories and both left for Oceanside, California, four days exactly after the murders or the bodies were discovered. They got arrested in Oceanside, took polygraphs, and both indicated deception when asked about the murders. And the Oceanside uh, polygraph uh, people were actually like well certified. So I kind of believe them, even though I don't think polygraphs are worth a shit most of the time, mm. uh, I believe them more than the ones locally here. Uh, Morgan said that he has a long history of drug drug use and blackouts and memory loss. He stated initially that he could have done it, but he didn't know. And then he recanted that later on. The Oceanside Police sent blood and urine samples to the West, West Memphis Police. But go figure, they didn't test it and they don't know where it's at. It's somewhere around here. So this is at least the third thing that's been lost now? Yeah. I'm keeping count? And that, was the, that was the dude that was in the you know, in the thing, he goes up to the camera in the movie and puts the cloth across the camera and all that shit. The ice cream salesman dude. So he actually knew personally all three boys and he knew them well from being in that neighborhood a lot. So it's kind of weird that, you know, Jesse and the Eccles kid and all them, they didn't really know these kids that well, but these two dudes did. So that's another thing that they didn't look into. Uh, It was now tunnel vision. Satanic panic at the core the day after the arrest of Damien and Jesse or Jason. Jesse's confession miraculously again leaked to the press from somewhere, and everybody thought that they brutally killed these kids in a cult like fashion. So all that stuff was coming out, and you know, right away I say jury's tainted, right? Because everybody in the town knows, everybody in the county knows what they think's the truth that got leaked. And it's a bunch of bullshit. People were getting quoted saying all kinds of outlandish shit about them. Acquaintances, acquaintances, pastors of churches, neighbors all chimed in for their 15 minutes of fame. You remember all those weird, like, little interviews they were showing in the documentary? Mm-hmm. Like, had the pastors and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. 
like, oh, yeah, I, I asked him to take the Bible or take the cross, and he said, you know, I can't, you know, I've already, I'm already going to hell, I already sold my soul to Satan kind of shit, you know. Stuff that teenagers say when they're being stupid. Exactly. Yeah, yeah he's, he's going to say that shit, but, like, they came out of the woodworks for the little 15 minutes of fame. So we're going to stop there. We, we're about ready to go into the Jesse Muskelly trial and talk about the other two, uh, Jason and Damien's trial and the aftermath and the documentaries and the celebrities and pretty much everything that happens from here forward. Uh, so everybody's got like a basic knowledge of how fucked up this stuff's going, right? Oh, yeah. So I don't yeah. have anything else to say this week, so we're going we're gonna to sign out for this week, and we will... Hopefully you'll catch us for part two of the Robin Hood Hills murders slash West Memphis three trials. I'm Darren. I'm Trent. I'm Ian. And I'm Ian. And this has been a very depressingly long episode, but I'm having a good time. Strangely enough. Yeah. Well, it's like. It's kind of sad, happy. I'm having a time. I don't know if it's a good time. But it's a time, nonetheless. That's like, you know, my bedroom. It's sad. Could be a good time. It's very long and depressing. And we're out. In the dead of night, when the moon is high, and the shadows dance, the evil will rise.